This is the Strength and Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, Strength and Anger interview number 15. Woohoo! We are uh, heading back on familiar territory. We've got, we've got Laura Phelps Stackhouse uh, and an interview coming up here. But Woo-hoo! before we get to that, let's tie some loose ends. Um, got some good feedback on the APF, the Why APF episode, that is. Yeah, a lot, um, of, a lot of lists, too. I was impressed with that. Like, it really kind of took off. Yeah, I think I think the why series is a good one when, you know, you articulate specifically why you do something or why you like something or in this case why we support the APF as an organization. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it is valuable to, you know, actually break down um, exactly why you do something. Yeah. Cuz I think most people are reasonable when you hear a reasonable argument, you're willing to uh, to entertain it. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, we continue to get feedback about PEDs and, you know, overall very positive as far as just the light that we've brought to them. You know, not everybody necessarily agrees with the usage, but just trying to, you know, give resources to folks that either are interested, because again, I think people just in, are interested in drugs, uh, or those that may even want to, uh, you know, partake. You know, I think that just laying out that very 360 degree view, like, you know, you do what you want, you're an adult for the most part, uh, but just understand that there's uh, there's a lot that goes into all that. So, but yeah, overall, very positive feedback on that. So I think there'll be uh, some more episodes that will uh, revolve around the usage and uh, the history of PEDs. Definitely. Um, other than that, Mr. Bain, what is going on? You know, we survived a snowpocalypse 2021 here uh, in Illinois. We've got, uh, I don't know, what, 17 feet of snow on the ground. Uh, so obviously everything canceled last night. Uh, but I am... Question. Yes. How do people in, like, Minnesota, where it snows for, like, six months out of the year, do they just shut down in the winter, or do they figure out a way to deal with this? No, there are hardy people, so they just figure it out. Okay, because yeah. I was confused. I thought when I was a kid... This was like a regular occurrence, mm-hmm. and like if the roads were clear by the morning, we just had school. No, it's just bad now because it was global warming. Al Gore invented all this, so it wasn't uh, as bad. So the kids. snow is worse now because of global warming. Yes, because of he, super cereal right now, guys. It's it's custom. man bear pig maybe. I mean, there's no greater threat to mankind than man bear pig. Okay, half Tenth. man, half bear, half pig. Right. <laughs> uh, but that said, uh, I am off to Florida on Friday. Uh, I did check the forecast in Fort Lauderdale, uh, and it is uh, 82 while well, I'm there the well, whole time. Well, fuck you. Uh, no. No, sir. I'm going to go enjoy myself in Florida, and I'll send you pictures in the boat. Sweet. Yeah. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. Stone, what's going on with you? Um, you know, I had a short little family vacay uh, this weekend. Uh, the family and I went up to Great Wolf Lodge in uh, Gurney, so not terribly far away. Sure. Um, but... You know, they have an indoor water park there and got to spend some time in the pool and going on some water slides. Um, spent the night there, so it was good to get away. Did you rock the short shorts up there? Uh, no, they're just regular shorts okay. for me, but my legs are short, so, you know, they may be short shorts on somebody else. Hey-o. Um <laughs> But, yeah, a good little getaway and, uh, 
you know, we had actually been planning on going there since last May for my son's birthday. So that's, I think actually I recall that, that you guys were planning on that. That's how long it's been Jeez. since we had actually paid for it and planning on going there. So Wow. And I should say the reason I'm going to Florida is not despite the uh, the the weather here is because I'm actually going out to work a meet. So uh, that is the reason I'm going to Florida. I should probably sure. throw that in there. So. Sure, sure. But let's, uh, let's move on here. Yeah, what is... Your fake news. What is fake news, Mr. Bain? The fucking internet is fake news. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's, so, pretty, that's pretty broad. Yeah, it's all fake. It's, it's bullshit. <clears throat> Here's why, why I say that. And part of this is stemmed from just some things that I've seen over the last few weeks and months, and uh, especially given everything that's gone on since I, I got into the internet and, and started you know learning about it. So much info is slanted for whatever reason. It's, the internet is known as an advertising medium. Everything that you find on the internet is going to be slanted in some way, shape, or form, even those that claim to not be. Uh, social media, it's just the highlight reel of life, or it's the low life reel. You see plenty of that shit, too. You know, one of my old coworkers used to joke that one day he was just going to go on Facebook and just like every hour mm-hmm. post what he was doing. Like, all right, I'm up. You know, time to have some coffee. All right, just had my morning shit. You know, now time to get to work. And Was uh, this Chris Meadows? Oh, uh, just had lunch. <laughs> I love you, Chris. <laughs> uh, has he been posting a lot from uh, Sunny Acres Retirement Home? I mean, they may have opened the internet back up, so I don't okay. know. If he, maybe it's arts and crafts time. He, he hasn't uh, <laughs> had time to. But Understood. Yeah. Um, and then most of the connections are, are superficial, and, and they don't replace real life. You know, you've seen people that – and don't worry, there is success with people who connect and meet and are friends online and then are friends in real life. But so many are just, oh, hey, did you see my post? Yeah, I did. Here's your like. Or here's the, the support, you know. Uh, emoji or what what have you and so uh, the internet is fake news uh engage with people in real life and talk to people you know what's awesome is that all things good bad and different can usually be handled if you just fucking talk to somebody wild so stone what is your fake news your fake news um arbitrary covid rules are fake news um my wife was just struck by the fact that we go to this water park, and I give them credit for following Illinois Department of Health guidelines and staying open and following everything they're supposed to and, and just being open. So I do give them credit for that, and I, I know, and I know they're just following the rules. Sure. But a pool is quite literally a pool full of bleach water. Like, that's what it is. Like, that's mm-hmm. what a pool is. That's it's, why it burns when you open your eyes and you don't have like, goggles on. Like, that's literally what a pool is. And so they're taking tubes out of the water you know, tubes for the slide or from mm-hmm. the lazy river and taking them over and making sure to disinfect them prior to their next use. It's literally in a pool of water or a pool of bleach. Um, and there's no waves in the wave pool during the pandemic because we know that waves definitely spread the COVID. Well, you know, Eric, there is the Olympic strain, which is resistant to chlorine. And that's why they have to do that. Right, right, yeah. right. I'm so sure the dis- Olympian strength. I'm sure that the disinfectant spray that they're spraying on there, like very arbitrarily, is doing better than the entire pool of bleach that that tube was sitting in. Um, have you been following the science, sir? I don't see Doctor Eric Stone in front of your name, so obviously you don't know science. Educate yourself. Yeah, <laughs> just, just <laughs> I kid. Just the general, just like lack of consistency in any COVID rules are just it's just absurd, um, and they are. Fake news, fake, fake news, fake news. You want to get really upset? Go read the CDC's recommendations for uh, school reopenings next year. Yikes. Yeah. I don't want to read it. No, you don't, because if you, if you have a blood pressure problem, 
it will exacerbate it. If you don't, you will get one. Yeah, that's why my kids will probably continue to be in private school next year. Look at that. Um, on to our hot topic of the day. No, not the store in the mall. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the younger listeners probably don't even know what I'm talking about. No, it's still there's a lot there. Oh, okay, but yeah, they probably we, don't go to the mall. Uh, fair. I mean, me and the boys went, and actually, uh, uh, the last couple weekends, and we actually went to Hot Topic, and uh, it's. I would say it's definitely not the same like feel as when we were younger like you it was like only like the goth kids went in there and like if you did like it was like really maybe the emo kids if that were yeah yeah kind of sketch but now it's like i mean you're cool if you go in there because they have ironic t-shirts and funko pops and Ah. all types of other memorabilia like they have an entire wall full of harry potter shit interesting still Uh, interesting anyway but anyways on to the hot topic um should lifters quote take back controversial lifts kind of going off of our you know should open powerlifting ban you know, sketchy subpar federations. If you as the lifter see a lift that's a video that you think is of you, know, of you that's below par, mm-hmm. um, quote unquote, do you think you should have to take that lift back? Uh, my response to that is no. You take what the game gives you. I've played sports my entire life. And to me, I was always coached and taught you play to every single inch and every whistle. If there's a handball in soccer and the whistle doesn't blow, you keep fucking playing. I understand no one cares about soccer, but... Nobody cares about soccer! And also no one cares about handballs that aren't fucking called. True. And, I mean, most one of the most famous handballs of all time, the Hand of God goal, which kicked England out of the World Cup by Diego Maradona. Rest in peace. You just he, lost 95% of the audience with I did. that reference. I did. Uh, go look it up. It's it's a it's a it's a very obvious goal. He, very obvious handball, and around the world, this has been debated now for forty years. Was this a good goal? And Maradona had the greatest comment for after the game. Well, what happened? Maybe it's a little bit of little hand of Maradona, Mary, little hand of God, and that's how I got the nickname, the hand of God goal. You got, you gotta, I like that actually. You gotta love that man. Uh, so no, you, you, why is this different? Is it because of your integrity? Man, get fucked. This is a hobby. So there is no fucking integrity. We, we pay to go and do this. You know what? If I pay to go to a meet and the judges say, hey, the lift was good, I don't care if I got out of the rack and fell over. If they give me three white lights, I'm taking the goddamn lift. So, Stone, what are your thoughts? Um, I, generally, I agree with you. Um, generally, I think no. Uh, there is some precedent, so has, there is some historical precedent. Tell we us ta- the history. We talked about the Anthony Clark IPA 1,100-pound mm-hmm. squat a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I believe that was in the episode with Jackie on, you know, kind of our Ernie Franz tribute. Mm-hmm. We talked about the first IPA senior nationals where Anthony Clark actually successfully squatted 1,100 mm-hmm. pounds years before it was ever then accepted in competition. Um, there was controversy on two ends. Mm-hmm. A the squat depth rules in the IPA at the time, and then B, there's also controversy on that the video seemed to show that A, spotter or spotters were touching the bar or Mm -hmm. the plates. Right. Um, And because of that, Anthony Clark uh, basically took back or said the lift shouldn't count, which I think was somewhat unprecedented at the time because he personally... Is is it took back or gave back the lift? I guess gave back. I don't know. Whatever. Judges gave it to him. Yeah. The judges gave him... He got two white lights. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talked about that kind of in depth. So if you want to go back a couple episodes and listen to that. Um, I've talked about this before. Uh, An APF Iowa meet that I judged at years ago. Nobody cares about Iowa. Yeah. Jim Grandick uh, had a squat that was obviously high. Mm -hmm. Um, I was the head referee... 
and he got one white light from the side. He got a red light from the other side. He even said in his video afterward that he pulled something on the way down, and so he just came up. Okay. And it, watching the video, it was obviously high. I gave him a white from the front because mm -hmm. it, it was such a big squat, and I guess I wasn't – I should have even red light from the front. And I guess is, I guess is technically what we did because mm -hmm. he emailed me afterward and said, I really don't want to – Except that lift. And I was the one submitting the results. Yep. And I was the head referee, so I just said, well, I, I went ahead and changed it. Gotcha. Um, and whether that was right or not, I guess at this point it's done. Um, after the fact or at other times, I remember talking to Amy Jackson. There, There is no technical mechanism for a lifter, you know, giving back a lift mm -hmm. or, you know, changing a ruling. Basically, the, the judge's ruling on the platform stands. Yeah. Um, there are some federations, I believe IPA, one of them, that – does allow video review by the federation head. Interesting. After the fact. And I think RPS is another. Um, I, I think some things have had, I mean, some of these are federations that are run by essentially one person. So right. what they say goes. So if they want to change something, I guess they technically can. Right. Um, but let me, let me, let me, you know, pose a couple of situations like the one that you talked about with soccer. Would a baseball player give back a walk if he thought the call was actually a strike? Hell to the no. Would a football player give back a touchdown when if, you know, maybe it was not a reviewable play um, that, he, you know, he barely and, – and I know that most of the time touchdowns now are reviewable. Let's just say it's something well, that wasn't reviewable. Well, look at a couple of years ago, the Rams and the, and the Saints, the pass interference call with under two minutes left in yeah, the game. Precisely. And, you know, the Rams ended up going to the Super Bowl because of it. Yeah, and, and up until, I think, last year, I think they've now taken that away, pass mm -hmm. interference was not reviewable. Right. W would you give that back and say, uh, you know what, I, I won't take the Super Bowl championship. Yeah. I'll, I'll just give it back to the other team yeah. because that, that's a controversial call. Pa Patrick Mahomes says, nah, no, no big deal, guys. That costs him half a billion dollars if he does something like that. Yeah. So, you know, generally I don't, I don't think that lifters should have to, quote, for integrity's sake, give lifts back. I think probably the solution in the marketplace is – if there is a federation that is passing obviously bad lifts, don't lift there anymore. Right. Um, or if you want to continue lifting there, then become one of the judges and judge more stringently. Yeah, try to improve it from, from, the, from within. From within, yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and, and I will say this is one of the interesting things to me too. Julius Maddox, very well-known and, and liked, and I would say respected lifter. He's lifted tremendous amounts of weight. He's a large human, uh, holds the all-time raw bench press record couple years ago i did make this uh mention as well uh i think it was the last episode actually there was a controversial call on his bench press where he got to the lockout he got the rack command and as the rack command was heard his wrist dipped and the spotters had to take the lift he was given the lift because they say well he did get the rack command and there was a lot of controversy about it and for about two weeks people were trashing the lift saying oh i don't know it's not good it's not good but then it just kind of died down it's really interesting that he basically he, – he wasn't asked to give the lift back. He said, oh, I just don't think it was a good lift. Okay, cool. And no one asked him to ever do that. And very interesting that now lifters are being asked, hey, give this lift back because you have no integrity. Yeah, that, that's been happening for a while. That's not, you know, unique of, of recently. There's been many times in, in but the But I just past. find it interesting given who was leading the charge on some of these other give back the lifts versus who was leading the charge on Julius. Yeah, it's often – usually geared lifters that are asked to give their lifts back, not right. as often raw lifters, or lifters in, quote, subpar federations. Right. So this is WRPS, so totally fine. No big deal. Right, 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 right. Sure, 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 sure. No problem. But let's, uh, you know, let's move on to a stone story. I like this stone story a lot. I actually recall this stone story. 
This is a pretty good one. It's not a real long one, but it, it's titled, Does Tom Callis Know? <laughs> Disclaimer, this is not a knock on Tom Callis. We like Tom Callis. Yes. Uh, he's fun. He's a great lifter. He's strong as shit. Uh, highly recommend go check out some of his lifts. He does hang out with uh, Huck Finn Barbell, though he's a fucking nut job. Uh, Tom's featured in some of those videos as well, but uh, definitely not a knock on Tom, but this story is pretty hilarious. No, it's actually just... It's only involved because his name was brought up. It actually yes. has nothing to do with Tom Callis himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you listen to the podcast and follow me on social media, you know that I get a lot of messages and a lot of emails about meets. Especially um, the Lombard ones. Yeah, I got one today where somebody said, am I signed up for the event on the first? Or they didn't even say event. Am I signed up for the first? And I was like. I, I, the first what? The first of what? Like, and I was thinking, we don't even have an event on the first. So I just replied back, you're going to need to be more specific. Did you get a response to that? I did not, actually. <laughs> of course not. Um, so a couple of years ago, I got a message asking what bars we'd be using for the squat in the 2019 Illinois State Meet. Which this I, is a good question. I like this question. Yeah. It's, you know, what kind of bars are we going to be using on the platform? And I replied that we'd be using Bulldog squat bars on both platforms. And the reply was, uh, I was just talking to Tom Callis, and he had no idea, so I'm just making sure. Okay. And my reply was like, uh... Like, I'm not sure why Tom Callis would know or not know. He is lifting at the meet, but it's not like he's, like, one of the promoters or referees or, like, yeah, I mean, event planners, is... and he hadn't asked me himself about it. But I guess more importantly, why does he – why does any lifter need to know necessarily? I mean, you're asking the question. That's fine. A, a simple thank you to me is the appropriate response. Right. He said, I, 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 Tom Callis had no idea. And so the joke around the gym for the longest time was, well, does Tom Callis, did Tom Callis know about what bar are you using at the meet? <laughs> and I believe even there was a social media post where somebody tagged Tom Callis and, oh, said, boy. and said, Tom Callis, did you know about this? And he was like, what? What are you talking about? What the about? fuck is this? <laughs> so now you kind of know where that joke comes from, Tom, if you yes. ever happen to listen to this episode. Um, it, the same guy who asked this question also thought that I slighted him on the mic a few years back. Oh, I I do. Yes. And he he threatened that he was going to, quote, keep showing up to your meets and taking all of your trophies. To which I said, is that supposed to be like a bad thing that you enter my meet and do well and do well? And like, I'll have to be honest with you. I don't want any more trophies. No, thank you. I have enough. There's a ton at the gym. I've been barred from bringing them back to my house. So you can take all the trophies that you want. What player. if we start doing best lifter trophies like mine? I think people would like those. Yeah, those probably. Uh, well, how expensive of a bottle full is that of Johnny Walker Blue Label? That's neither here nor there. I'll drink the shit. They can get the empty bottle like mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're drinking, give me the bottle. I could give the bottles away. Yeah, I guess. dude, me, me and Gibble got you, man. We'll just go get like a dozen of those Chicago ones and we'll start drinking the shit. No problem. <laughs> so, yes. Does Tom Callis so, know? So, so Jane, I just uh, volunteered you to drink a dozen bottles of Johnny Walker I'm, Blue I'm sure for Best Lifter Awards. I'm sure she would have no problem with that. <laughs> so, on to our Palooza throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. We're going to head back to November 1990. November 1990. Holy shit, man. On the cover is Ted Arcidi. As I, I looked it up, how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. It's not Archidi. It's Arcidi. Arcidi. Um, and, but what was going on in the world in November 1990? Um, well, we just happened to be right in the midst of the first Gulf War, mm-hmm. which started on uh, August 2nd, 1990. So we were just right in the midst of it and ended February 28th, 1991. So we're basically right smack dab in the middle of that Gulf War. And mm-hmm. that was when 
uh, Iraq and Saddam Hussein uh, invaded Kuwait, a very, very small country, but a very oil-rich country, mm-hmm. which was supported by the Allied powers. Um, and he basically said, you know, it's become a province of Iraq. And the United States said, no, no, no. Nay, that nay. Is, nay. That nay. is not allowed. Yes. Uh, as far as in popular culture, we had Ghost, Pretty Woman, in, in order. These mm-hmm. are the top movies in 1990. Mm-hmm. Ghost, Pretty Woman, ah! Home Alone, uh, Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja Turtles 1, and Great. The Hunt for Red October were your top movies. All, you know, I would say all mostly... Solid movies. I mean, Chick Flicks, the first two, but yeah. still good movies. Dude, Hunt for October was fire. That was a great flick. It's still great. Yeah. It's still a good movie. Yeah, I can, Very good film. If that's, that's on TV on like TNT, although I don't have cable anymore. But if that was on TV, mm-hmm. I would just sit down and watch it. Hell yeah. And just get into it. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first one, also a fire Am- movie. Amazing film. Fire movie. And Home Alone still, I, I think, one of my favorite Christmas movies. And I swear, if they do actually edit Home Alone 2, I'm going to be pretty pissed. It it seems I, I watched that on Disney with my kids around yeah. Christmas time, and there was the the scene still with yeah. the Donald that was still in there. Real news. I mean, it was at his. It was it's, at Trump Plaza, at, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, whatever. Um, the and Home Alone was actually released on November sixteenth, nineteen ninety. So it was released right along that this time frame of this issue. Um, the top TV shows were Cheers, mm-hmm. sixty minutes, mm-hmm. Roseanne. A Different World, which was a spinoff of the next show, The Cosby Show. Yep. Um, the Different World was like a college spinoff um, from The Cosby Show, which is, I'm sure, is all canceled now because of Bill Cosby. Oh, uh, yeah. So now I have some trivia for you, Stone. In November of 1990, what WWF slash E legend debuted in November of 1990? Hmm, that's good. Um, hmm. I, I feel you're pretty smart and you'll be able to deduce this fairly quickly. Jake the Snake Roberts? No, sir. Ooh, okay. Uh, give me a hint. The Survivor Series is where they made the interview. Undertaker. Yes, sir. Oh, I, oh, I should have known that. November yes. 22nd, 1990. Oh, that's good. Yeah, The Undertaker. I, when, when I saw this, I, was like, I had to go look it up on Wikipedia. I'm like, he, it was right around then that he came in. I think, uh, we don't want to talk too much about pro wrestling, but I think he had the best character in WWE slash F history. Not necessarily the best wrestler. Top three for sure as far as character, yes. I, I think as far as just like... You know, like pure character. I think he's he's tippy top for me. What I loved about that, and this is the only other thing I'll say about pro wrestling, we can move on, is the way they built that up for. I mean, months. The mystery partner, like they wouldn't say who it was, and you ne- you did not know who this dude was until he walks out. They have the you know, his theme song playing. You got Paul Bear, fucking weirdo. You know, there was no Paul Bearer, actually. He originally was managed by Brother Love. And I know this because... Brother Love, yes. Because I, I listened to the, uh, not the Brother Love podcast, but the Something Russell with Bruce Pritchard, who played Brother Love but podcast. He comes out, and it's this the, the whole mystique. All the camera angles are from, like, way down low, so he looks even taller than he actually is. And I just remember being, you know, going into what was going on with me. I'm eight years old, like, who the fuck is this dude? And then he just lays waste to everybody in, you know, at the Survivor Series uh match that he's in so uh, yeah the undertaker debuted in november of 1990 very good i like that piece of trivia there you go uh so uh we'll roll into what i, what I was doing in november of 1990 uh i was eight my sisters were born i was actually uh, in third grade with one of the most influential teachers i ever had mr crowley uh pat and i continue to be friends uh to this day uh he was a good friend of my dad's as well and actually had him in fifth grade a couple years later uh i would say of the the men in my life i would put uh my father Pat uh, and Arturo Jessel, my first uh, soccer coaches, probably the three men that made sure that I made it past 18. 
Okay, interesting. So, yeah, that was my first year with Pat. Stone, what were you doing? Um, I would have been seven in second grade. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I also had uh, probably one of my favorite elementary school teachers, Mr. Saka. Mm-hmm. And it, I, it's interesting because... Everybody hears about Saka. Yeah. Uh, I think it is interesting that you and I both had, like, early elementary school male teachers that were pretty influential. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as a male, as a male, you know, young student, mm-hmm. you're often going to be more impacted, right or wrong, by a male teacher. Because, because typically the f- you get female teachers. Yeah, most it is in elementary school. It is, gosh, I mean, I I student taught in a K through three school as mm-hmm. a PE teacher, and literally no one else in the building other than the maintenance man was. Everybody else was a female except for myself from, and the maintenance a, from guy. From a staff perspective. From a staff perspective, yeah. yeah obviously, all the students were male right. and female, but it, it, I think that is, you know, something that if you have any interest in teaching, especially if you like, you know, teaching, you know. The younger population, as a mm-hmm. male, I think you can have a large impact um, at I mean, that age. I mean, that was my my thought process uh, when I went into school. So, you know, my uh, two degrees are in psych and elementary ed. And that was my whole idea was I wanted to work with young people because of the impact that, you know, people like Pat and Arturo had made on me when I was younger. Sure. So, uh, but what was going on in the world of powerlifting in November of 1990? Yeah, so we had on the cover... Ted R. Seedy, mm-hmm. um, and he had come back uh, with a 718 bench, was it, which was an all-time world record at the time. Yeah. Um, Ted R. Seedy was an interesting guy. Um, he had his best lifts of 650 raw. Mm-hmm. Um, he had did, this was his best lift, this 718 that happened around this time, equipped. Mm-hmm. It's listed as single ply, but I have to be honest, I think it was probably double ply. Okay. I think at this time the APF was probably allowing double ply bench shirts, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, he did his 705 bench at the 1985 Hawaii Invitational. Is that the Hawaii record breakers everybody talks about? It is. And it was uh, featured in that Inzer ad that we Mm. saw in last week's Palooza throwback. There you go. Which was also an all-time world record at the time. And I think a couple guys had broken the world record. Um, uh, Our CD we'll talk about. He was, you know, kind of out of powerlifting for five five or so years. Mm. And, you know, probably with good reason. He was doing something that made him more money. Yeah. he mostly competed bench only, and it seemed like sometimes maybe they just didn't have a bench only division. So he did, you know, basically token squats, token deadlifts, five, six hundred pounds on each. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came back uh, after being gone from the sport for about five years to Karen Kidder's Invitational Meet in September of 1990. Wow. Um, successfully benched 718 and missed 726 on a fourth attempt. Mm-hmm. And I believe Karen talked specifically about this event in yes. our interview with him he did. and talked about Ernie Franz coming out to New Hampshire and helping him judge the meet mm-hmm. and kind of where him and Ernie kind of started their, you know, relationship. Um, it looks like he is benching in an old school Franz denim bench shirt. Um, you can see the Franz yep. logo. You can definitely see that. Um, he competed one more time in 1991 APF Junior Nationals and bombed with three attempts at 725. Wow. Um, and Ted had, you know, spent some time in powerlifting from around 1980 to 1985. But in late 1985, Vince McMahon yeah. came a calling and uh, got Ted RCD into pro wrestling. He appeared at WrestleMania 2. I don't, that's probably the WrestleMania I remember the least. I believe that was the Ma- one. Main event was uh, Hogan versus uh, King Kong Bundy in the cage, I believe. I believe you're right. And that was the one where there was actually three locations for WrestleMania. Yes. It was like L.A., Chicago, and I don't know the third one. I think it was New York, possibly, yeah, that, because that De- sounds right. Detroit was WrestleMania 3, 94,000 fans, Hogan body slams Andre the Giant. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I could have looked up, but uh, 
it sounded like he was released after Ken Patera returned, and that is a whole nother story. Yeah. He was in prison um, and came out. He was also a powerlifter, I believe, mm-hmm. maybe powerlifter strongman. Uh, maybe somebody will touch on another Palooza throwback. Um, after you know getting booted out of the WWF, he wrestled in uh, Stampede Wrestling up in Canada, did some world-class championship wrestling in Texas mm-hmm. until about 1990, and that was about it for him for his pro wrestling career. Um, so interesting. It, Ted RCD is an interesting guy. It fascinates me, the old-school powerlifters who were also involved in pro wrestling. There was, there was a like, big connection. I think Vince yeah. McMahon has always kind of been, you know, uh, fascinated by strength and size and likes I mean, that bodybuilder, kind of, powerlifter type. You kind of have to be that. If you're going I mean, to be an athlete like that, you've got to have, you know, some, some pretty serious power. Um, and I think, to your point, the old-school superstars, they, they were just monsters. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Ted Arcidi's chest, he was a big, yeah. big man. Um, there was an article on Ed Cohn's training methods. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't talked that much about Ed Cohn's training methods. Um, it's very much an old-school linear periodization training mm-hmm. cycle. Uh, he talks about his off-season work being very high volume, uh, lower intensity. You know, it's, it's basically a, a four-week, a month-long training cycle, starting with uh, eight sets of three at 70%. Week five, work up to a max single, you know, in those subsequent weeks working, you know, higher percentages each week. Um, and then week six, start a new four-week cycle, basically. Yep. It's, I think it was, you know, eight by three at 70%, six by three, 75, and so on, you know, keeping kind of that, almost that Soviet, you know, high high, uh, high sets, lower reps right. with, you know, kind of a, that sub-maximal weight. Um, when he got ready for a meet, however, he used kind of your – your old school traditional 12 week peaking cycle starting with 10 reps and then working down to two reps at the end of, of 12 weeks percentage based no singles at all um, which is interesting um, that I know that was the philosophy of Fred Hatfield as well never did singles in training mm-hmm. I believe that was Kurt Kurowski as well that's why you see him doing that double the thousand pounds their their philosophy was essentially save the singles for the meat yep save the big ones for the meat day um, he trained uh, each competition lift once per week mm-hmm. and one, you know, kind of scraps uh, assistance day. On that assistance day, he would do things like uh, behind the neck. Uh, it's not really military press. Behind the neck overhead press mm-hmm. um, seated is his kind of primary movement. Um, and it was kind of a shoulders, calves, abs, bicep kind of day. So the stuff that doesn't get hit as much. Um, S-C- oh, scab day. S-C-A-B. Got it. Right, right, right. Not SPD. <laughs> A lot of bodybuilding assistance work, you know, kind of your old school, you know, shrugs and curls and leg extensions and leg curls and, you know, kind of the stuff that sometimes I think people poo-poo, but, I mean, hey, Ed Cohen had some pretty good success with uh, with what he did. Now, I mean, he's he's old school. What does he know? I mean, have you heard about SBD four times a day or four times a week? Four times a day would be pretty <laughs> yeah, good, too. But, if you, I mean, that's how you get strong. Right. Oh, the Ed Cohn gold was, standard. Ed Cohn was basically the best lifter of all time, so I think he knew a little set. Now he was also very genetically gifted, but he also did it for a very long time um, until he had his basically his catastrophic quad injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was con- he was competing at a very high level from twenty years. You know, from his teenage years up to his forties, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and I say all that in jest because you know Ed, I think he had figured out up until your point, till his injury, how to be incredibly successful for such an extended period of time, which it, even look at even high-level lifters back then, their window of, of not dominance, but of like really high-level lifting was probably 10 years, and he basically doubled that. Yeah, no, no doubt. 
Um, we've got the top 100 super heavyweights. Ooh, big boys. From September 89 to August 90. And worth noting that uh, at this time, I don't know if there was a three-weight class, mm-hmm. uh, but there's no. they did not until much, much later separate out you know, th- the 308-pound class because most federations – only had 275 and then super heavyweight. So this is 275 and above lifters. Gotcha. Um, so at the top of the pile, we've got John Ware with a 1,000-pound squat. Um, just below him is a 903 Anthony. Oh, that must be a typo because number three is 955. So mm. I don't know what Anthony Clark is supposed to be. Uh, it says 903, but then third place is 955. So maybe that's supposed to be 983. Gotcha. It is kind of hard to see because um, it goes – 1,903, 955, 925, 910. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and guess that that's supposed to be like 983 or maybe uh, – who knows? Um, I could go back and look at those results. Um You've got uh, top of the bench. You've got Ken Lane with a 712 bench. Anthony Clark just behind him with uh, 622. And this is kind of as Anthony Clark is kind of on his way up. Right. Um, you've got Gary Heisey, who we talked about, who had that world record pull. Mm-hmm. He's got a 920 deadlift. The next closest person is an 800 deadlift from John Ware and Mark Chalet, uh, nice. one of the big guys in the uh, – uh, IPA, mm-hmm. uh, IPA president, I think, still to this day, 800. Mm-hmm. Steve Brodkey, local guy with a 771 deadlift. But, man, what a difference between, you know, the 920 all the way down to 800. Um, and then John Ware, top of the total with 2380. Anthony Clark just below him with 2248. Um, so those are your top uh, super heavyweights Big boys. in the early 90s there. Mm-hmm. Um, we got... I'll have to look back, but at least this is the first time I saw anything from Michael Soong, who you can go back in the archives and listen to our episode about him and the all-time world record list. I didn't know he was actually doing it this early. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way back in 1990, he was he was starting this. It seems like this must have been when he first started it. Um, I, I thought this was interesting at the bottom. It said, listing compiled by Michael Soong on the Macintosh SC computer using Quark Express 2.0 typesetting software. Wow. Um, please feel free to Xerox and distribute this listing. Um, hmm. It's interesting that he listed the records on a separate page from the, like, the actual like, people. Like one page has the people and then the other page has the numbers. Interesting. Um, so it's like you have to like match them up uh, you know, to go through the numbers. What I did think was interesting was that he had, you know, kind of like the, the most notable lift. So you have the over 1,000-pound squat. At this time, there were eight. Dave Passanella, Anthony Clark, Fred Hatfield, Matt Dimmel, Dave Waddington, O.D. Wilson, Lee Moran, and John Ware. Those are your 1,000-pound your squatters as of 1990. Only eight people at this time. Wow. The over 650 bench. Um You've got Ted RCD with the 718. Um, you've got Ken Lane. You've got Jim Williams, who's a large, large man. Mm-hmm. Anthony Clark, Bill Kazmaier, Sam Semerego, not a guy I'm familiar with, and Jeff Maddy. And all those guys are 650 and above. Um, I believe Ken Lane was the one that broke Ted RCD's world record. He did 717, mm-hmm. and that prompted Ted RCD to come out of retirement. Um, I believe Big Jim Williams was an IPF lifter, um, and he lifted raw, even though I believe eh, maybe bench shirts weren't approved because um, we talked about how it wasn't maybe until the mid-'90s that 
uh, bench for approved in the IPF. And he did, I know he did the, his 675 raw, I'm pretty sure. But he was a big man at 343. Jeevers. That, that's a large man. Um, your three times. Juan El can't be on size. Yeah. You've got your three times bodyweight bench. You've got Julian Lee, Chris Confessor, uh, Rick Wheel, Tony Cerotti, David Bullock, Ed Morshima, Doug Heath, who's a guy who, uh, Westside. Yep. Joe Bradley, and Doug Ortiz. You've got your over nine, and that's 10 people. Your over 900 deadlift only had three at this time. Gary, wow. the aforementioned Gary Heisey, Dan Wolbler, which a ni- had a 900 deadlift, and Doyle Kennedy, who had a 903 deadlift. Oh, excuse me. Dan's was, was supposedly 903. It was later weighed to be 904. And that's something interesting is that in these early days, especially because the weights weren't always calibrated, mm-hmm. if you set a world record, the rule was you had to weigh the weights afterwards. Oh, wow. So first of all, the scale had to be calibrated, and then you actually weighed the weights. And if it weighed differently, you had to actually record it as that weight. Mm. Um, so interesting. Very interesting. Um, and I'm assuming that was a pound weight, so that's why it was listed as 900 and then later weighed out to be 904. Mm-hmm. Um, you're over 2,400-pound total, only six individuals in 1990. Um, Dave Passanella, Odie Wilson, John Ware, Bill Kazmaier, Doug Furness, Dan Reinhelt, uh, and did I miss somebody? No, that is it. Um, that is it. Only six people with an over 2,400-pound total. That's crazy. So that is your uh, Michael Soon list all the way back in 1990. I didn't know he was doing it all the way back then. Um, there is an advertisement for Franz bench, shir- bench shirts and suits. Um, I just thought the price was, was interesting. Either one of those, $35 for a bench shirt or a squat suit. If you bought two, the second one was only $25. That's just that's fucking crazy. And now you can't even buy a singlet for that. Yeah. I, I, I almost want to do the math and see what that you know comes out to be as far as uh, with inflation and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this was 1990, to be fair. It, yes. But, I mean, it can't be that different. I mean, you look at shirts now, and I understand there's more technology in them, but, I mean, guys, yes. there's $400. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to take a screenshot of this, this and, is and post it. Um, Crane's Muscle World did a lot of advertising in Power of Like, like the, And next to this was another full-page ad. And there is a full-page ad of baggy pants and rag shirts. It's incredible. I mean, there is nothing more 1990s than this fucking advertisement. I mean, this is like the Zumba pants. Not Zumba the dance, but Zumba pants. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one, and and it looks like this was taken in like a JCPenney's or a Sears, like, photography studio with, like, the the white curtain and, like, the little mini, like, ladder and, like, Mm -hmm. step stool. In one of them, there's a chick with pink pants and some, like, totally 80s, early 90s hair. The hair is incredible. There's RDC. There's a guy sitting on a step stool. And then there's a guy in, like, camo with a literal gun in his hand. I mean, what is what in the actual fuck is going on in this advertisement? It's, it's a full page ad. I mean, the patri- of apparel. The patriotism is just surging. <laughs> I just, I that just struck me almost more than yeah, anything in this issue. Truth, justice, the American fucking way. Yep. Um, on the back cover, I thought this was also interesting. Um, there's an advertisement for hammer strength with the creepy fucking polygon people. Yeah, and it said Gary Jones with the help of quote his Hewlett Packard computer. And there's Weird. like, and there's like, there's, yeah, there's like these, you know, really early like computer renderings of hammer strength equipment. Um, 
and it's it's interesting. It's listed as Pacific Pacifico Enterprises. So obviously, Larry Pacifico was part of this. It actually says. Um, for a free catalog information, call Mac Richards or Larry Pacifico, mm-hmm. um, or you could stop by Muscle World Gym, which obviously had some of this in here. Um, Hammer Strength would then be bought by Life Fitness, a mm-hmm. local company, uh, which at the time was out of Lake For- Forest. It looks like now they're out of Gurney, mm-hmm. um, but Life Fitness bought out Hammer Strength in 1997 um, and sell, you know, still sell them to this day um, under that same brand name, Hammer Strength, which is a pretty well-known machine, um, you know, plate-loaded brand. Yes. Um, And I thought that was interesting. A full back cover advertisement from Hammer Strength. Mm -hmm. Um, From here, Mr. Bain, let's go ahead and head into our interview with Laura Phelps Stackhouse. Um, And she's going to primarily talk about conjugate training and her queen bee power kind of version of it. Um, You know, we've talked about that conjugate is, you know, kind of a a philosophy. It's not necessarily a, a... a really super specific training cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be adapted, and she's going to talk about that a lot. Uh, but just to give a little bit of context, if you haven't listened to our first interview with Laura Phelps, um, Laura Phelps, as of the time of this recording, has the number one Glossbender coefficient of all time for females. All time. Um, of all females, of all federations, um, of all time, 682 Glossbender points. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you use dots, which I, I have no idea what dots is, somebody can at me send us a DM where dots comes from, but that's the, the pr- IPF. I don't think it is what, I don't think it is what the IPF use. I think it's an open powerlifting thing. Um, maybe they, they tried to use it for a bit and then it went to, good but I thought lift. that was, I, I thought that was, was IPF, IPF point. Now it's good lift points now. Oh, too confusing. Too much. Um, the USAPL should, should sue them. That's what they should do to figure out. Oh wait, they are. <laughs> that's a whole nother hot topic. there. <laughs> um, but you know, as far as gloss better, she's number one. If you use dots, uh, Laura Phelps is actually number one of all, male and female, and that's mm-hmm. what they uh, for multiply. Yes, um, she has best lists of a seven seventy five squat, mm-hmm. a five forty pound bench, mm-hmm. a five sixty pound deadlift for an eighteen hundred pound total at one sixty five. Um, she competed mostly at one sixty five, one eighty one, threw in a couple one ninety eights in there. Um, I believe in her first interview, she talked about that she held the all-time world record bench at one point at mm-hmm. 148, 165, 181, and 198. Yes. Um, and at the end of her career, she competed a couple times at 148. I- I'm guessing uh, that, that was maybe something where she wanted to, you know, a little extra challenge mm-hmm. um, and, you know, to set some of those all-time world records at, at multiple weight classes. Um, she competed from a- around 2005 until 2014. Um, we didn't ask her about if she's ever going to come out of retirement again. I think we asked the first time. So uh, I'm going to poke her again. She, she basic, yeah, she's basically said she's retired and is now just enjoying coaching and, and still trains, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met Laura Phelps um, at her very second meet, was the second Summer Bash yep. in 2005. Um, 90 lifters, Becca Swanson competed there, Laura Phelps. Bill Carpenter, I believe Rob Leondo, a lot of a lot of pretty big name lifters competed at that second summer bash at Velocity, and that's when I met Laura. I actually remember her either coach or training partner calling me up and saying, "Hey, we got this new lifter. I think she's really going to be good." And mm-hmm. um, I just remember her spot on squat technique, even from that very first meet. You know, and and she she truly is biomechanically built to squat. Yeah, um, I mean, she's just got like the perfect hip width and femur length um and, and not only that but she just and then it's just incredibly she, technically proficient she optimized it yes. you know very well so that's why she's the queen 
no doubt. From there, let's go ahead and throw it to an interview with Laura Phelps Stackhouse. All right, everybody, welcome back to Strength and Anger Interviews, and we have once again the lady, the myth, the legend, the queen bee herself, Laura Phelps Stackhouse. Laura, welcome. Thank you for having me again. Yes, well, we would always have Laura Phelps on the show, so please, please, anytime you want to come back, we will have you. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> For those of you that uh, maybe hadn't listened to the previous interview, you can head back to May 3rd, 2020, right in the middle of the quarantine. Um, it's Strength Anger oh, yeah. interview. The, it'll only be two weeks. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it was right between episodes <laughs> 31 and 32, if you want to go back. And that'll give you a little bit more context if you want to know, you know a little bit more about Laura and some of the kind of general questions and origin stories and that kind of stuff. Um, if you want to find that information out, but highly recommend. Yeah, very good interview. But without further ado, we've got a lot of questions, so let's have at it, Mr. Bain. All right, we'll start with the first one. Uh, see if I can get this name right. At Nanook DX, did I get that right? Um, yeah. yeah, I don't understand the Instagram <laughs> handles. Uh, asks. So, so we're going to get just give a little context. We're going to jump right into conjugate questions. So that's really what the most of the focus is. There'll probably be a few other things, you know, in here. Laura has obviously deep experience with the conjugate system, having trained it, having also, you know, adjusted it to, uh, you know, her system. So that's kind of what the focus will be, just for those who maybe come in with a little less context. So, uh, so Laura, how do you track volume? And then maybe uh, is it a is it a, is a spreadsheet, or do you have something very complex, or what's the best way that you track volume and then progress for your uh, for your lifters? Um, the ones that I work with individually, I do use a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. Um, but with the conjugate system, like the volume is just almost, I mean, as long as you're programming it correctly for the max effort movement and the dynamic effort days, Mm -hmm. the volume is kind of just inherently controlled. There's not like, you know, some of these programs where it's very like all this percentage work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, on max effort days, we're working up to a one rep max on different variations of whatever, you know, it might be a deadlift, a squat, or a bench press variation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, even even within that, we have to control the volume. You know, so I really try to like in the in the clinics that you know we talk about like how to work up to a one rep max um, and how to you know to make sure that you don't do too many sets, too many too much volume, mm-hmm. but also that you do enough. You know, enough volume. Um, so we talk about that in the clinics, and then on dynamic effort days, um, you know. A lot of like what Louis has developed for the West Side conjugate system was, you know, uh, to control volume was based off the Prolopin's chart. You know, so there's, you know, that's, you know, you have your speed squats and your speed pulls. We we really focus a lot on the speed squats mm-hmm. and the, you know making sure that what the volume is is correct. You know, so, um, so usually it's you know a twelve by two or a um, eight by three or five by five something like that. To um, but it's it's waived over three weeks with. Um, increasing percentages and then it comes back down on the fourth week and starts over with a different variation. So I just um, heard all that volume. So I threw it in my mouth two, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so those, those are the two things that really we have to watch like the volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as those two things are done properly and you don't, and you know, a mistake people make is, you know, on dynamic effort, lower day might be that they use too high of a percentage. Like they, their idea of what their, you know, if it says 50% bar weight, you know, of your one rep max, basing it off of a number that is not, you know, 
a true 50 percent it's more like you know i don't know i i mean i see it all the time sometimes you know you know to be like okay week one 50 percent and i'll see the weight on the bar and just do the simple math and it's like completely too much you know too much bar weight so that's where people can really mess it up is not sticking adhering to on dynamic effort data not adhering to the proper percentages gotcha so <laughs> on, on, along that that's okay. Along that same token of volume, since this is a question that often comes up, what about, quote, extra workouts? <laughs> um, well, the extra workouts are light. They, I mean, a lot of the, the stuff is, like, super light, banded stuff. And, you know, I might program, like, you know, 5 by 20 dumbbell tape press, but the, that should be done with, like, maybe 10-pound dumbbells. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's all just, like, blood flow. It's, you know, I try to do a lot of stuff with bands. Um, stuff that's just to help recruit blood flow and to help facilitate recovery. Um, so those shouldn't be like heavy workouts. Those shouldn't like, those are, like I said, are meant to help you recover, not the other way around. So, you know, turning an extra workout into something that's like a little too intense or a little too heavy, you know, that could be detrimental as well. Okay. So, so the extra workouts are more focused on, on that recovery and that blood flow versus yeah. actual like strengthening and like that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's still going to like, you know, it's a lot, a lot of repetition. So mm-hmm. it still, you know, might help you build muscle, help improve your leverages, but it's not meant to necessarily like, yeah, like you said, like uh, build strength. Yeah. As the main driver anyway. Right. Right. Gotcha. Okay. At Fran Powerlifts asks, do you usually do an off season for powerlifting? If yes, how will it be done? Um, the, beautiful thing about conjugate is that if you do it right and like i was kind of going back to the the first question if you um, stick to the proper percentages and don't you know kind of have this skewed idea of what 50 percent is or whatever um if you're doing it you know with and sticking to like i said the rules of um building up to that one rep max and getting enough volume but not too much volume over 90 percent then it's sort of laid out to where recovery is built in. So there's not necessarily like, um, like this off season phase or, you know, whatever, what it does, or you don't need like necessarily like, Oh, like I'm going to do four weeks of this and have a deload week. It's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that recovery is already built in. So basically your off season would just, the only thing, the only difference necessarily in off season would be just really unique variations. So like on max effort, um, or dynamic effort, like coming up with more creative variations to put you, put you in like really weird positions to, you know, make you stronger and build a, a more solid foundation so that when you go into meat prep, which is typically anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks, um, it's not that going into meat prep changes a whole lot. You're not like doing a whole different program. It looks very similar. It's just those main movements, those max effort movements are very specific. They're more testers than anything. Those are like you know, our meat preps are typically always the same because we're picking movements that are good testers mm-hmm. um, for those 10 weeks to figure out, you know, to give you an idea of where your strength is at. Whereas the off season, we might do just weird, you know, overhead press or it's just stuff that like we wouldn't, it's kind of outside the realm of like our normal standard squat bench deadlift. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, to make a long story short, um, you know, there's no, in the off season, there's not like a whole lot of deloading. Like it's set up, the country system is set up so that the recovery is built in so that it's just an ongoing program. There's not like phases of like intensity and deloading, you know, um, if you're doing it properly and, and recovering well. And if all outside factors are good, like 
you're sleeping enough, you don't have too much outside stressor, mm-hmm. uh, stressors, and then um, hydration, nutrition, if all that is is good, then you shouldn't need, you know, a deload. I mean, like, if you do have a lot of stress in your life or going through something or, you know, not sleeping, you know, then, then yes, then we would say, hey, let's take a week or just do, like, easy recovery stuff. Sure. What about as far as, like, geared power lifters? Is it something where you guys aren't using too much gear when you're maybe far out for a meet, quote unquote? Yeah, quote, yeah. Off-season? Like, yeah, and for geared lifters, for sure, yeah, the off season, we would be in the gear way less. You know, if you're, let's say you're a, a, a geared sumo deadlifter, you know, a lot of um, the pulls, the variations in off season might be raw conventional. You know, just, just totally different stuff. Um, you know, I remember I, I rarely got in my bench shirt when I was in the off season. Like I only really got into my bench shirt a whole lot when I was leading up to a competition. I mean, granted, I, that's more like I had, I had really learned the shirt really well. And, um, so I didn't need a whole lot of practice in it. So it's just basically in the off season, if someone, um, if someone's just in the off season, we'll program a sh- like, let's say a shirt a day every third week instead mm-hmm. of like in me prep, it's a lot more frequently. Okay. Um, so every third, third to fourth week, maybe getting into a venture, um, in the off season. So yeah, as a geared lifter, we would be wearing the gear a whole lot less. Um, that's not to say like, I mean, I wear briefs all the time. Like even in the off season, that's one thing I wouldn't give up was wearing my briefs, like for squatting variations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to, you know, protect my hips and save my hips from wear and tear. So that's like the only thing that I would wear more regularly in the off season but as far as pulling putting a full kit on basically that was um less frequently in off season more generally speaking um same same individual fran powerlifts also asks what differences are there in training just generally between raw and equipped he wanted to know or if it's she i'm not really sure uh (laughs) higher reps and pauses for raw on max effort days you know if you're programming for somebody that's an equipped lifter versus a raw lifter are there adaptations that you're making to their max effort dynamic effort work oh uh, yeah there might be different kind of variations like pause squats and whatnot but i still whether it's a raw lifter or an equipped lifter we still build up to one rep max on whatever variation that is it's just for an, a raw lifter i i have them do a lot of drop sets mm-hmm. um not a lot of drop sets but just frequently doing drop sets after that main movement to get, you know, some extra volume in. Um, describe, still, what, describe how you set that up. I mean, it's like, you know, I still have the raw lifters do a lot of, like, conjugate, conjugate variations, you know, so let's say, like, a safety squat bar squat against 25% hanging chains. They'll still use their same narrow stance squat, you know, their, their same squat stance. It's just building up to one rep max, same, um, you know, principles I was talking about before, building up to that one rep max. It's just once they hit that one rep max, whatever that same variation is, still keeping the safety squat bar, still keeping the chains on. We're just going to take it down to 80% and do like three sets of three or something like that. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it's kind of different, like, you know, whether it's squatting, deadlifting, benching, but we do drop sets afterwards. Um, but then on dynamic effort, lower day, um, rather than having the raw lifter do a box squat every single week, like a typical conjugate System, you know, training system um, will kind of rotate the three weeks on a box, and then the next three weeks wave will be off of a box. So their mm-hmm. normal okay. squat stance, you know, um, you know, kind of rotating between a, a three week wave on a box, three week wave off of a box. That that way, you know, that is one way of getting 
you know, more practice with their stance, more volume in that stance. You know, that's one way. It could be like, you know, a, a conjugate style variation where it's like, you know, like I said, like a, a narrow stance squat with a safety squat bar and chains. Or it can be a, you know, a pause, a straight bar pause squat, you know, at 65%, you know, waving up just in straight weight um, for those three-week uh, waves. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, rotating. Like I said, the next three-week wave would be on a box, you know, because even as a raw lifter, having doing wide stance box squats um, does have a lot of transfer over um, into their squat, but also a lot into the deadlift. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wouldn't want a raw lifter to completely not box squat ever and just be constantly hammering um, those free squats. And it'll save their knees, you know, from you know that wear and tear of just constantly doing so much volume in that narrow stand um, squat. Gotcha. Sure. And just out of curiosity, do you ever have equip lifters do drop sets? That's kind of, I've seen a couple people doing this. I think I've even seen John Campion occasionally have a max effort movement where he'll mm-hmm. drop 20% down and do a drop set or drop sets. Is that just did it yesterday? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it just yeah. because raw lifters overall intensity is generally lower because they're not in gear? Uh, do you think they yeah, just need yeah, more they, sets? Like they, they have like, yeah, equipped lifters, like, having that overload so frequently mm-hmm. <laughs> um, would – that's why I don't do it a whole lot for raw lifters. Unless it's, like, the off-season, yeah. Equipped um, lifters, raw variation, I don't – yeah. Uh, yeah, equipped lifters. Sure. If it's, like, a raw variation and it's um, in the off-season, then, yeah, drop sets are, are really good to help, you know, build muscle mass. It's just more volume to build muscle mass. Um, but – as it gets closer, you know, into me prep or something like that, I wouldn't just because recovery is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just have so much overload and all the all the variations. So we're just trying to preserve the central nervous system a bit. Um, so that's kind of kind of how we do it. You know, an equipped lifter can absolutely do drop sets. Um, it's just kind of going to watch when you do them in, in comparison to when you're like, at, at how frequently you're getting into the full gear and overloading. Um, I don't really do drop sets. For equipped lifters on equipped variations, you know, it would just be like a raw variation. Like if it's like, let's say, a conventional raw deadlift or a bench press variation that's raw. Got it. So uh, moving on to the next set of questions. So at powerlifting twin underscore, got to always add the underscore there. Uh, what was it like training at Westside and what is your fondest workout or memory from Westside? Um, I mean, training at Westside was awesome. I, I was like more of like a part-time um, athlete there. Mm-hmm. I would train there on the weekends because uh, I, I had a job and I had stuff going on. I couldn't move to Columbus. So right. I was whether, whether I was living in um, Toledo or Cincinnati, like because I was kind of going between the both, mm-hmm. um, it was about a two hour drive. So I would usually stay at my friend Tony Ramos, um, him and his wife. I'd stay at their house um, on the weekends just to be able to get two training days in there. Mm-hmm. And so it was awesome. I mean, I have a lot of good memories of training with, you know, I had uh, particularly on Sunday mornings with the bench crew with George Halbert. Like I got so much out of working with him and his crew. Um, you know, I, I went there with a, I, you know, it was when I, I was new to powerlifting it was in 2005, but I went there. My, my best bench at that time was 319 in the meet. Mm-hmm. And um, that was at the meet at the WPO semifinals in um, the, at the end of September of 2005. And then, so I went to the Arnold and competed at the WPO in March. So I don't know, that's like six months later. Mm-hmm. And 
I know I, I benched 402, and then on a fourth attempt, I like literally was like like a millimeter from locking out 430. So I mean, wow. I still consider like okay, like four, 319 to 430 in six months of training with George. Um, you know, so I I mean, I remember the first day. I mean, probably my fondest, I guess. I I can't, I can't believe we're fond of this, but um, memory of training there was the first time I benched four plates mm-hmm. in a shirt there. Um, uh, it was like, he made me do it like 10 times. It was like over and over and over again until I could do it just because he knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, he just, I just remember that day once I did it though, it was, you know, that was it. Like I, it was, even though that wasn't a competition, it was just in training. It was just like that barrier that, yep. that, you know, that I, I crossed at that, in that day, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, th- Laura, there's just a lot of mystique around Westside. I mean, people see in Westside versus the world, and I think any insight they can get from anybody, we get a lot of questions about that. And Mm -hmm. when we had Anthony on for the Q&A, people just kind of want to know what what really goes on between those walls. I mean, we we just assume when you pull the curtain back that there's Louie with a little crystal ball, and he's just casting spells on everybody, and they suddenly (laughs) get stronger. That's what we all assume. So, Well, it's like um, I would train there, like, early. We would train at, like, 7, and then um, some days – you know, during the week, Louie would get there super early. But, like, on those days I was there, he would show up kind of more towards the end of my workout. Mm-hmm. So it would be like, oh, my gosh, Louie's here, and I would get nervous. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was so weird. It was like, um, he's just this guy that just, he's there. He's not, I think people assume that he's, like, walking around, like, yelling at people and coaching them up. You know, he's there to, like, just give guidance. He just, he really, really tries to promote people learning how to train on their own and coaching each other and Mm -hmm. learning themselves. You know, he's not there to like personally train every single person. You know, he just, um, like provides his wisdom and gives his guidance, but, um, just his presence there alone, you know, just brings a whole new level of intensity. Sure. Um, I know that prior to me being there, like there's probably way more fun stories, you know, of people, um, fighting in the gym and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody asked me that recently on a podcast. They're like, okay, like, tell us the craziest Louis story at <laughs> Westside. And I like literally was like, I don't have any. Like, all my all my experiences and encounters with Louis have been so good. Like, like mm-hmm. really, just he's always just been so good to me. And like, I've never seen that other side of him. You know? Sure. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Let's move on to at Matt Brooks ninety five. Uh, what about doing max effort deadlifts after speed squats? Um, so I know I used to do that. Like, so I would, my, my max effort lower body days were always a different squat variation. It might be a box squat max or some sort of free squat max. But my speed days um, would kind of go every other week would be a max instead of it would go speed pull one week and the next week would be a max effort mm-hmm. deadlift variation after the speed squats were done. Um, like that worked really well for me. And like, I think it really worked well when, you know, I was coaching Heidi Hauer, mm-hmm. you know, she ended up with a world record deadlift. Um, but it doesn't work well for everybody. Like it's, that's a lot of, you know, extra volume. Basically you're now maxing, every Monday and every other Friday in addition to every Wednesday on your max effort bench, you know? So it's like, you really, I mean, it's something you can play with, but it, um, I, I'm here to say just work, you know, having experimented with it with a lot of people, 
it works really, really well for some people. And for some people, I, I don't, wouldn't say that it like makes you go backwards, but it just isn't necessarily, um, more progress than if someone, mm-hmm. if you did it like, um, as a rotation on your max effort lower day. Um, I mean, I've experimented so much with that. I've, I've been like, okay, like we've done this for a long time. Let's try it back. Let's go to a more traditional, um, conjugate, you know, training system where it's like you're not, you know, you're just doing speed pulls after speed squats Mm -hmm. and we're incorporating the deadlift into a rotation on max effort lower days and saw absolutely no regression. Like it was like still just as much progress. So it's like if it's, if you experiment with it and like it's, you know, six one way, half dozen the other, I would go with like the more traditional rotation because it's just less wear and tear on your body. Sure, sure. Makes sense. Along that same token, um, I've been tossing around with the idea, and I've done it with a couple of our lifters here, of alternating max effort and dynamic effort days on the same day. So meaning, like, let's say we squat on Sundays. Instead of always making that max effort lower, alternating a max effort squat variation one week and then a dynamic effort squat the next week, and the opposite day being just your, quote, deadlift day, alternating max effort dynamic efforts so you're you're still only doing one max effort and dynamic effort in any given week but alternating the days yeah i mean that would that's the beauty of conjugate is that you can play with it you can literally like experiment with it and see it works for you like that like that sounds good like in my mind i'm like okay well there's going to be a time where like what day do you do what's your second you do sunday and what's the other day what thursday wednesday Wednesday. So, you know, there's going to be a week where you're maxing on Wednesday and then again on Sunday, you know what I sure. mean? So it's like, um, so that's in my, that's where my brain goes. It's like, as long as you can recover between on those weeks where it's like Wednesday and Sunday of like max effort variations, then, you know, you got to mitigate by all somehow. Means, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just all about recovery. So sure. if, you, if, if you're able to do it and recover well and get good results, like it's, that's great. Like Louie will be the first one to tell you. And that's why people were always like, you know, we used to teach the CrossFit powerlifting course. It was like, we had all of Louie's material like that he would send us with to teach and, you know, and we would do it by the book. It was like mm-hmm. 12 by two, 12 by two, 10 by two. And, um, and then somebody would raise their hand and be like, but I just saw them post a video. Somebody posted a video and they were doing five by five. And I'm like, and, the, and so I'm just like, oh my gosh, like things just change constantly. <laughs> you know, you can, you can change it. You can, you know, it's just a matter of like, if you recover, if you recover and can, and get progress from it. Yeah, that is, I think, I don't know if we talked about this in our first interview, but I have seen quite a bit lately where Westside themselves have been doing speed work five by five. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys experimented with that at all? Or are you sticking more to yeah. the, the two to now three I've rep been speed? Like, Right. I've been literally just like doing a rotation, like three different. So like one three week wave will be, you know, 12 by two, 12 by two and 10 by two. Um, and the next one will be eight by three, eight by three, six by three. And then the next one will be just three weeks of five by five, um, hmm. with a little bit lower percentage, not 50, 55, 60, maybe like 45, 50, 55. Okay. Um, you know, cause if you do the math, like the, the reps all end up, the same essentially um but you know just kind of playing with the volume and it i mean it, it's been working well and you know i don't think anybody's 
gotten anything negative from doing that. It just kind of it adds a little variety too, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, novelty. Sometimes the twelve by two can take so long. You know, if you're working in with like two or three people, it just like takes so long. Sometimes being like having a three week wave of doing five by five is such like a relief because you can kind of bust that out a lot quicker. <laughs> right. I mean, I think there is something to novelty. I mean, you've been training for twenty years, probably, Laura, and. At some point, yeah. like, just something new is probably right. has some value. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure, yeah. New variation, new rep scheme. Like it, it um, it definitely just like kind of gives you kind of like a breath of fresh air. This <laughs> yeah, is something new to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So moving on to, uh, and I, I love this question from at Stace Mula. Has anyone ever tried to mansplain something to you and just not know who you are? Oh, yeah, definitely. And it happens a lot lately because, like, of how different powerlifting is now. Sure. How many raw lifters and stuff there are. Like, I have had to go recently to a couple USPA meets, and, like, no, like there might be a few people that know who I am, like, you know, when I'm there. And I'm just like, wow, like, powerlifting has changed so much. Like, it's, you know, I mean, not as not only is it all new people, like, mm-hmm. not all new people, but a lot of new people. Um, just the culture is completely different. So sometimes I just feel super weird when I'm, you know, at some of these places, I feel so much more at home when I'm like at an APS meet or if I'm at, um, you know, if I'm at, uh, the WPO or something like, okay, these are my people. Yeah. Yeah. I I can understand why that'd be maybe a little, any, any like particular stories you would be comfortable sharing about being mansplained something? Oh gosh. Not off the top of my head. I cannot. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just want to be a fly on the wall when when some twenty two year old guy is trying to explain or trying to mansplain squatting to Laura Phelps at right. a USBA. Oh, like I just yeah. want to be sitting right there. Like yeah, <laughs> oh, gosh. I, that would be. I, mean, I know it's happened. I just cannot think off the top of my head of what. Oh, if something um, if something comes up funny. later. Yeah, if something comes yeah. up later, just uh, throw <laughs> it in. Always add it in. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, along the same thought process. Um, you know, have have you ever had any issues coaching male athletes, or having probably more so having male athletes accept your coaching? And I'll just give the example of I used to work at this place called Velocity, um, actually where you had your first meet, ironically that summer bash in yeah. '04. Um, I, I would often run into issues with with dads of male high school athletes that would sometimes have an issue with a female coaching their group, and I'd have to explain to them like. A, they're following the same program. B, they're totally capable of coaching your and working out your high school, you know, football player. Mm-hmm. Any yeah. issues uh, when you've done that, being a female in what maybe previously had been a more male-dominated space? Luckily, honestly, um, I haven't run into that a whole lot. I uh, have been fortunate. I don't know, like, what it is or, or whatnot that I've just been surrounded by males that – just have a lot more humility and like um listen like i have a lot of male um coaching athletes athletes that i coach mm-hmm. um you know that it, it still is i mean nobody's like been disrespectful ever it just is harder i think to as a as a female to um i don't know to be in this it still is definitely male dominated so like if if me and a male have um the same like credentials essentially, or maybe, maybe I have more, but just cause they're a male and they're, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, they just are, are more apt to draw business and it's no disrespect. Those guys that go to the, the males 
aren't thinking in their minds like, oh, I'm just, you know, this I, I can't be coached by a, a female. It's just they're just drawn mm-hmm. more to being coached by a male. So it is kind of hard. I, I mean, and I just, I don't, and I, I don't know if it's because of that or what, but I've just coached so many more females. Like we have a lot more females at the gym that, that train, um, whether it's in the gym or online, you know, it just, I'm just, I just, and, and part of it might be the pro-am. I don't know, but it's just like that. I haven't had any experiences with guys being negative. It just is harder to get those guys to listen. I think, you know, they're just more apt to listen to a male. I can just throw in my two cents. I'm guessing it's ego, and because you out-total most of those guys, at least initially, that's yeah. probably why. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, but I just throw it I mean, Maybe they assume, I don't know. I do think being a strong yeah. female, um, I, I just think it's not surprising that you attract more female athletes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, you know, it's, it's just that in general will just attract more females. I mean, it just we have a lot more females in the gym, a lot more females to coach. Mm-hmm. You get a lot more, you know, a lot of females now coming out to the pro-am. It's just, it's just I don't know. And I, I think I enjoy coaching females a lot more. Like, it's, um, I mean, no disrespect to the guys. I, I love coaching the guys that I coach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the females just, I don't know. They listen just, better? I mean, you yeah. just see it up. Yeah. He, I mean, I think they listen better. and they just I'll say it. Just so, yeah, so much more guts. And they, um, you know, they just don't give up. It's it's crazy, you know. You just almost like hold them back a little bit. It's like okay, like <laughs> yeah. Try try holding Leah Reichman back. Have fun with that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they are more emotional though. They get really like. I have to have a lot more talks with like the females. Like if they have a bad training day or this mm-hmm. or that, it's you know there's just so much more emotion involved. So it's like, you know, that's one aspect of it too. Is like you know just saying like you know, um, I had so many bad training days like not every training day was like perfect like mm-hmm. there was a lot of bad training days but i had a lot of really good ones too you know so you just have to re- like get to a point where you realize that like that one bad training day has no indication of like how you're going to do at the meet or or like what where your strength is at like you know you just have to brush it off and yep. move on to the next one short memory yeah yeah for sure <laughs> So, uh, next question from uh, at Milliken Jacks. I think I got that one right. Uh, oh yeah. If someone be- wants to become a trainer or a coach, and maybe even a gym owner someday, like what what input would you give, having now done this for for a few years and obviously seen success on both fronts? Um, I mean, me personally, like I think that what helped me was that I never tried to like jump into doing it so quickly. I think sometimes people like they just get into powerlifting a little bit and all of a sudden they want to start programming for people and coaching people. And I'm just like, DM for coaching. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I'm just like, I never had thought of doing that. Granted, like it wasn't very popular at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people, you just had a training career. You didn't have a coach, you know, you just trained with people. Like, I mean, like I'm not that old, but like the internet wasn't around, but it was like not, you know, the way you shared your training logs and stuff. Um, was on a, a forum, you know, there were forums and it was a super pain in the butt to making a post was, you know, relatively easy, but like to embed a YouTube video or something like that was just such so much work that mm-hmm. like, you know, you rarely did it. You just would like maybe, you know, chat about training or something like that. So there wasn't anything like that. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, so therefore there weren't people like constantly trying to, you know, get people to, to um, like join them for coaching and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, 
2013 is when I had a friend who started a website, which I'm still on, um, wadfollow.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like his first person to program people on there. And then, then it just became like, it was the, it was amazing. It was like, I had, I mean, it was unbelievable how many people signed up, whether it was for the CrossFit programming or for the powerlifting programming. Mm-hmm. Then just from 2013 to now, 2021, I mean, it's like, it's a lot less. I have to work so much harder to retain and, you know, cause people have like, you know, uh, coach or training ADD they, they jump from program to program so whether even if they get great results it's like oh, I want to try this I want to try that you know they just you know it's hard to I, what I love is I do have a lot of athletes that have stuck with me for a long time because they believe that like you pick something and you stick to it like you, you know like, it's not going to benefit you to jump around a million times so they you know they stick to it um so that's helped a ton you know with that so it's just like it's wild to see how different it's how different things are in that aspect Uh, you know there's just there's so many people now coaching and and stuff so it's like I didn't get into it until I was you know let's see 2013 so you know eight years into competing Mm -hmm. um you know and had been teaching seminars for Louie with Louie and then for Louie um for four years at that point so I just like i it wasn't until then that I even felt like I even remote and I had all kinds of world records already, Mm -hmm. but I still never felt like I really had grasp enough, like life experience to be able to truly coach someone else. So it's like, I, I don't know. I'm not like discouraging anybody from like trying to become a coach, but like, I just really think that there's nothing more, you know, you can take tests, you can do all this and that, but until you have like a lot of life experience and have, handled i mean have competed in meets handled people at meets um you know done a lot of experimentation with programming and this and that um before you start like giving other people advice okay fair so don't do your first meet and then immediately put up dm for coaching right exactly like maybe try to and copy get a few and, years under your belt, yeah. <laughs> copy and paste your coach's program to, you know, whatever right. you saw in your athletes. Exactly. <laughs> yep, that happens a lot. <laughs> uh, so, so we're told. Um, <laughs> favorite max effort movements for upper and lower? Favorite way to set up dynamic effort for upper and lower? Or maybe, uh, or maybe my, some of your favorites. Yeah, like max effort lower. Uh, I used to always love doing a reverse band pull. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That was like kind of my favorite deadlift variation was a re- reverse band pull. Um, for squat variation, it was always, you know, I used to love, uh, for some reason, I just loved the days when I would just do a brief, brief max, like just in my, my squat briefs and a pair of knee wraps, you know, no suit or anything like that. Like, you know, I used to love doing just briefs and wraps. Um, you know, that's not to say that I didn't really enjoy like getting the full gear on and doing like a squat against chains or something like that. But for some reason, just, it just kind of was like, okay, I'm going, it's a moderately heavy overload. Cause I don't have my full suit on. Um, but I also don't have to put my suit on and take 30 minutes to get it off. <laughs> uh, sure. so that's why that was always like my favorite on, um, bench press. I loved in, in my shirt. I love doing short days, even though, like I said, I didn't do them all that frequently. Um, but I love to do, um, heavy, two board heavy super heavy banded overload bench press so not something that i george first had me do um was like i started off 
back then, even like when I was around a 400 pound venture doing two board against double light bands, which is about, I mean, roughly 140, 150 wow. band tension at the, at the top. That's a lot know? of band so it was tension. just like, oh my God. Yeah. It just was like, did you see Jesus during this process? Ability, I literally, it was just like, just even hold it in my hands. It was like, how am I, I remember on the lighter sets, I'd be like, ah, what am I going to get like two plates on this? But, um, I just, he just had me do so much heavy overload stuff. And for some reason I love that. And I just carried that through with me all the way through my, um, powerlifting career. I would maybe do it occasionally, maybe sometimes in off season, but mostly that was like a staple of my, um, meat prep, like doing that at least once during meat prep. And I mean, I would get up to like, I think my best, I think was 450 bar weight against double lights and double minis. So it'd be like 220 or so of band tension. Um, so a ton of weight to be held at the top. And then, so then therefore like when, it, cause I was trying to get a 500 pound bench forever mm-hmm. and I was just like, for some reason I just was struggling to get it, but I wasn't doing those variations that frequently, like the heavy overload at the top. Um, and then once I started incorporating it more often, it was just like, once I took out 500, it just, not that it felt light, but it, it just, it was just like, oh, this is like almost a relief mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to like sometimes holding like 700 pounds at the top of you know, band tension, which is unstable and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. So that was probably my favorite. How about dynamic effort work? Favorite way to set that up for each upper or lower? I really like my favorite was um, the giant camper bar with um, if I break it down now, I would say like if you put 15% of hanging chains on the bar, but then 10% hanging or 10% band tension from the front. So bands that are pulling, you know, from, I usually have like a pair of dumbbells that are set up in front of the mm-hmm. monolith and we choke them around. Yep. So, you know, just kind of a forward, forward band pulling. Um, so 15% hanging chains, 10% band tension from the front. Uh, for me, it was always like, like eight, like 120 and chain plus, monster minis or light bands from the front and then you know it's still waving a percentage so like 50 percent bar weight on week one 55 and then 60 um but i love that variation because it really like really forces you to have perfect technique mm-hmm. and that that was always like my thing was like making sure that um technique was um was perfect you know that was that was what really got me you know whatever success in powerlifting wasn't necessarily that i was like just that much stronger than everybody else. It just, I it was just like trying to be more technical than everybody else. Sure. And okay. it did yeah. help. You were pretty darn strong too. So, you yeah. Know, yeah. Put, all, put, <laughs> yeah. put all that together. And it works out pretty well for you. <laughs> right. Anything for combination there, anything for upper for dynamic effort. Um, I mean, I tell people all the time when, when it comes to dynamic upper, it's not as critical as, you know, we talk about like the speed squats, like the dynamic effort, lower your, your squat variations and mm-hmm. weighting those percentages on dynamic effort upper it's not as like you don't have to like wave i mean you can change it every single week um but i tell people all the time like you, you also if you can't like i had when i was going to west side on the weekends to do max effort during the week i was living in toledo at the time and like my only option was to go to this gym, I mean, most of any of the gyms around there at that time, like I either had a powerhouse membership or this other, like, it was almost like a tennis club mm-hmm. um, membership. And that's where I worked out. So I brought my mini bands with me and that was the only variation I did was 
135 against double minis. I would, you know, do nine sets of three super fast, you know, really short rest period, and I would move on to accessory work. That was, like, my, like, a lot of accessory day, like, very typical, like, almost bodybuilding style movements, a lot of strict pull-ups, mm-hmm. tons of different variations of rows, you know, tricep work, stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, every week since I didn't have any um, any options for variations, they didn't have chains, they didn't have specialty bars. So therefore, for me, it was a straight bar against double minis. It wasn't until later in my career that I like had more access to other stuff, um, but it didn't necessarily like hit, like hinder my progress by having those years of just doing the straight bar with against double minis. Sure, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, another great question we got here. So, what what do you feel has been your biggest failure, and what did you learn from it? Oh. Um, Sorry to be a Debbie Downer. Like, as far as, like, in, I know, in my powerlifting career, probably. Uh, we could stick with powerlifting. Whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Powerlifting, business, oh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so I, uh, my brain obviously immediately goes to powerlifting, and I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, um, <laughs> like there's, like, several things that I can think of. That, like, because there's not a whole lot that I would say, like, if someone says, like, what would you – if you do you regret anything about like powerlifting, I'm like, there's nothing I really regret. There's nothing mm-hmm. that I would say like, oh, I stopped too soon or this or that. Because like, you could always say that. I could always say like, oh, I wish I would have got a 800 pound squat. Like, I mean, I am bummed out about that. Like, cause there were several meets where I did attempt an 800 pound squat and just never got it. Um, you know, and there was a lot of year. There was a whole year where I bombed out every single meet. That was mm-hmm. 2007. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, so sometimes, like, nowadays, like, bombing out is a little less common, I think, just because training has evolved so much, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the, like, that year, I had a lot of bombs. I mean, I have, I have more bombs than I can even count on my hands, but people nowadays, like, the younger lifters that I work with and train with now, they don't know that. They weren't around in powerlifting then, mm-hmm. so they just know about the good stuff, you know, and they don't, re- they don't know that, like, I had a lot of bad needs or a lot of bad things happened, you know, but the good things obviously outweigh, you know, you're only going to remember the good stuff, you know, right. where they forget. I even forget about the bomb outs. I mean, I, I know that I did it a lot, but <laughs> I can't really hardly remember any of them. But, um, so what do you think you learned from that, yeah, from that point. year, that 2007 where you bombed multiple times? What did you come out of that year learning from it? Uh, I would just say persistence because I, I remember getting frustrated, like, <laughs> most of the time I would just like brush it off quickly because it was just like I knew not to dwell on it and get like real upset or anything sure. but I remember like towards the end of that year like just I was pretty frustrated I was like maybe I like maybe that's it maybe like that whole I was just riding that high for a long time um, which was really only two years at that point I was like maybe um, maybe it's over maybe that was just like a fluke and now like I just can't get that mojo back and mm-hmm. I remember Louie saying Louie told me that he had I think he said he bombed out like 11 times in a row um, at one point. Yeah. 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 Hearing him say that where he was just like, cause I think at that point I was like apologizing to Louis after whatever meet that was that I bombed. I remember, um, you know, just being like, God, he's probably going to kick me off the team or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just remember like, I am so sorry. And, um, he was like, and, and just to hear how like, he was just like, Hey, it's no big deal. Like I had the same thing happen. And then, after that, I, he's like, I don't. He's like, for no 
real reason did that happen. But And then for no real reason did all of a sudden I snapped out of it. He's like, but I had one of the best years after that. And it's surely enough, like literally the same thing happened. 2008 was a great year. I had a lot of um, good lifts. That was my biggest deadlift was that year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it was super weird how he just kind of said that. And I was like, I kind of felt better knowing that like um, it happens to people. It happens to the best of people. Um, and that you just have to keep going. That's why, like, I really, like, sometimes I feel like, like, a, like a mom or something, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, you like, you're just like your mom or dad says something and, is, and they're like, trust me, I've been there. I know. And you're just like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. So sometimes I feel like I'm a little preachy like that when I talk to the people at the gym or mm-hmm. lifters online is like, if they have like a couple bad meets or, I mean, people are ready to hang it up after one bad meet. And I'm just like, wow, like, no, trust me. Trust me. Like I didn't get that state record deadlift, it, and now I, I, I can't go on. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm telling you from experience. Um, like, you just have to have patience. Like, this is not a sport that's, like, you're not going to be able to, like, just have all this progress, like, go super quick and then just have nothing bad ever happen. You're going to have meets or several meets in a row that just sometimes just for no reason just, like, it's just not ha- clicking, and then all of a sudden it's just you get you get it back. You know, you just have to be patient. But for the people that I think that do the best are the ones that can have that foresight to know, like to, to be patient enough to know that uh, that it'll come back around. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, at Southside Jacks wants to know what is a myth about your profession that you want to debunk, and what is the biggest misconception about you personally. Huh. Uh, the biggest misconception of, I think, uh, probably what I mean, I don't even know what my, we would call my profession because I do personal training. I do strength coach, like, you know, seminars and yeah, strength coaches like that, uh, catch all. Well, like we were talking about, uh, yeah, talking about earlier was that like, um, that people that, you know, that people get into it too quickly and they, you know, cut and paste and do all this. I see stuff all the time that people post, like, if your coach does this or if your coach does that, then you need to get a different coach. And I find myself, like, question myself. I'm like, am I that coach? I'm like, oh, wait a second. Hold on a second. Like, I have paid my dues. I, you know, I I never try to um, rip people off or, you know, you always try to stay original and, and whatnot. So I think, you know, sometimes I, I hate seeing that sometimes that people are out there kind of kind of preaching that, like, coaches, or this or that. I mean, it's really just a way to push their own programming. You know, mm-hmm. say they're say they're cutting down other coaches, but it's just a way to say, "Hey, hire me." You know, and I'm just like, so I, that really bumps me out when I see people, um, you know, being so negative and being like, you know, people can figure that out on their own. They can see it. Like, um, you know, you don't really need to like promote yourself by, you know, constantly putting down other what other people are doing. You know, sure. Um, it all comes around, I think, in the end. So that's great life you know, that's advice, actually. Of, yeah, Same. yeah. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing about like my quote profession, and then me in general. Uh, I don't know, like, I don't know honestly what people's perceptions. You know, I I try to be like very nice and humble and kind to people, so that I there isn't like a weird like, oh, she seems like she seems really snobby or mm. or unapproachable like i know like i think i remember like way 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 back then back when like when i was first kind of getting on the powerlifting scene and breaking records and stuff like i i remember one guy saying like oh wow you're really nice he's like i 
I hadn't ever talked to you before because you were kind of unapproachable. And I'm like, what? Like, I, I will never forget that because I was like, do I just like look mean? You know, I was just like really worried <laughs> that like that I had this like unapproachable thing about me. So I've always tried to like be approachable and, you know, and, and let people know that like, I'm, you know, I'm a busy person, but I try to be as as approachable and available to people as possible. So um, hopefully that's still not the case <laughs> I, I can i can vouch for that that you are incredibly approachable but i also understand because i i know i've joked about this how nervous i was the first you know four times i was yeah. in the same room as you <laughs> but and, and the reason being i think you know many people hold especially like athletes but there's those that they hold in high regard they're almost on a pedestal right and so you're you're kind of scared yeah. like you know what more for me what it was like what if i say something really fucking stupid and Laura's like this guy <laughs> this guy here i've done enough oh stupid things in God. front of you at this point that it's fine um you know if nothing <laughs> else so on the platform funny. i'm an idiot so i'm just i'm just the idiot in, in blue elbow sleeves you know but but i think you All you right. definitely do portray that you you're very approachable you're super nice and and so you know it, to your point you are busy but at the end of the day like it, it, your profession is people and so you have to be approachable right yeah definitely definitely so i never you know i I, i'm always just like oh man like if people like you said hold athletes on the pedestal it's like that like just because i broke world records or whatever like i'm literally the same just the same as everybody else and and honestly like i'm the person i'm the i'm one that's more worried about saying something stupid like (laughs) you know so um so it's really just yeah, <laughs> making sure that people realize, like, I'm nothing special. You may be the <laughs> but... queen bee, but you're still human. <laughs> right, that, absolutely. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so I think this is, a, this is very pertinent. You know, what is What do you think 2020 taught you about, like, coaching and about business? And obviously you had to adjust very, very fast, as many did. You know, what, what were some of the big lessons you got from 2020? Uh, gosh, probably just that, like, nothing is guaranteed at yeah. all. It was yep. just, like... I didn't know what was going to happen. It was like, uh, if people, if, if this continues, which it did last a long time. And I mean, it's still actually, um, going on. I still have clients that are like on pause right now because they're like my gym like in Canada, my their gyms are still not open. Yep. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. So, I mean, luckily like 75% of everybody else is back to normal, back in the gym, you know, no real restrictions, but mm-hmm. At that time, I was just like, I was really nervous because I was like, I I have scaled back in my in-person personal training a lot over the years to focus more on online. Mm-hmm. So I have a handful of like my really regular long-term clients that I still go in and train. But um, if I'm relying a lot on like this this online coaching, I'm like, and that I never in a million years thought that we could ever be affected or taken away. And to see that happen, it was just like, oh my God. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of freaky it was like okay and i had been trying to like build up the seminar stuff a lot more at that time and it was you know that it was picking up a lot i was doing about you know one a month you know maybe every other month so it was like um trying to build that and all of a sudden it comes to a crashing halt like i took i had to take a whole year off of doing that i just did my first one back last weekend so it was like okay that you know that gets taken away the online stuff gets drastically i mean i had to like all of a sudden i'm programming for my people um by having to uh like figure out like stuff they can do at home it was just it was a lot harder the work was so much harder trying to still program them and keep them 
without losing them and give them stuff that they could do at home. So I tried to, you know, it helped a lot. Like people really, I, I didn't realize how much people would like the, um, I posted like four weeks, I think of, um, at home workouts that people could do with just like bands. And oh yeah. Cause I couldn't walk for two days cause of you. So yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the, the 400 meter March. Oh yeah. God. Like I just, it was kind of good for me cause it forced me to be more creative mm-hmm. and, and do stuff like that. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, like maybe like, you know, this zoom thing is becoming more popular. So I started doing the zoom clinics and, uh, so it really just forced me to just kind of think outside the box and kind of adapt to the situation. And luckily, like for us, at least it only lasted a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously there's still lasting effects, but wow, that was kind of, kind of crazy. Shit was wild. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. At Bane super tight preds. Fun to know. That's a burner account. That's not a real account. <laughs> you made a, po- <laughs> you made a post recently about how important it is for teammates to help handle each other um it kind of went viral um i don't know the exact post but it was about you know learning how to wrap and handle lifters at meets, yeah. set shirts that kind of stuff why do you think that is something that's so important why is it so important for you know lift individual lifters to learn how to help others i just think that um if you help other people you get a much better grasp of helping yourself if that makes any sense like um, and it just contributes to a good atmosphere and like, cause what I'll see sometimes is that like, even in our, in our own gym is that people will gravitate to like, to having one person wrap. I'll see one or two people doing all the wrapping and doing all the, mm-hmm. the work, you know, and I'm just like, Oh, it shouldn't be this one person. Cause I know firsthand, like how exhausting it is. Like if I'm wrapping, in a training session, let's see, last Monday, like I had three people to wrap in a training session because they were doing, it's, all the girls are getting ready for me prep. And mm-hmm. so I was like, had three people that I was in charge of. And it was, I mean, it's, it's exhausting. I'm sweating. My forearms are hurting. My fingers hurt. Um, and so if, if, if it gets to the point where like one person is doing a lot of, of that work, I mean, that's a lot of wear and tear on them. It's taking them away from, you know, their training Um, I just think that everybody should give equally. Like you should learn how to do all that stuff. Like it, it'll make you a better lifter. Like, you know, it'll help you to understand what you need from. And I think you as a lifter, like can, when I'm wrapping someone's knees or doing something, I literally try to envision like how I would want it. Like, how did I used to like it? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. how, like how should this be? You know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can kind of like transfer that to the other person. Um, and it just gives you a a better sense of self-worth and, um, and like I said, it just creates a better team, you know, bond when everybody's everybody's doing stuff. I see when I see people after I posted that, even in the in our own gym, it was just like I mean that week it was just like everybody heard that and they were just like everybody started working really hard to like help each other. And it wasn't a thing like I want, you know, it was like it wasn't like a passive aggressive thing that I wanted right. people in the gym to hear. It just was kind of nice that they heard it and were like, "Crap, I should probably be learning how to wrap knees and just." doing stuff so that if, if each of us do a little bit, there's not, you know, it's easy. Whereas if like only a few people are doing it, it's really hard um, on those people. So it's just more of a thing to just try to create a better atmosphere and like experience for everyone, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing magical about wrapping knees. I mean, there's certainly people that are better yeah. than others, but it just takes practice. Yeah. I mean, my wife learned to I wrap knees first. before she actually was wrapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's cool because then she really knows what she you, she can give like kind of advice to whoever's wrapping her like of what she likes how she likes it yep. you know what her experience has been with wrapping other people like it's it's just a it's an, it's invaluable you know I agree agreed and and I mean and just people like you know if you're in your training group like it drives me nuts when if like if people are just standing there like there should always you should always be having a job like if everybody's mm-hmm. doing dynamic like squads together everyone should it should flow it should have a job and it keeps things going quicker like what i find is that like i mean we know this with um with meets like if the loaders are slow it can add hours to a meet like if if everybody's quick and efficient what's that you like can get through your Laura and I have been to meets like that. Oh, I I I have been too. I I I can say that in jest, but um, we've been to meets that like. Yeah, you think like, wait a minute, why? There's only 50 lifters. Why is this meet getting over at 7 p.m.? 35 lifters and 13 hours later. Right, right. It just it it all has to do with just how it's run and how Mm -hmm. quickly the loaders can go, and so therefore, like in a training session, it's the same thing. Like you know, if you dilly dally between sets, I mean. When we had that day last Monday, when we had all the people squatting in the gym, it was just I, I made I put a post in our private group before. Then I said like, okay, tonight's going to be really busy. A lot of people are going to be squatting. There's mm-hmm. still other people in the gym doing stuff. I said go into the workout with a plan. Like I want you to lay all your attempts out from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Seven to nine total. Seven to nine total attempts. Write them down so that you're not wasting time thinking about it. Um, or taking too many jumps, which adds a lot of time, um, go in with everything laid out mm-hmm. and then everybody has a job. Like while there were enough people that were working together where it's just like, run it like a beat. If someone's, um, doing their attempt on the, on, on the monolith, the person next should already be sitting down, like getting wrapped or getting ready to be wrapped mm-hmm. instead of yep. like, you know, watching them. And then we talk about it. We, you get them unwrapped and then, you know, like it's all this like excess time, you know, so just being an active member of a training group, like it just, it'll make for a better experience because then it's not taking two and a half hours to get through squats and then nobody wants to do accessory work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's just like, just little things like that just really add up. Definitely. For sure. For sure. So at Stone's old Franz Briefs, another burner account, uh, if Raw had been <laughs> as popular as it was in the early to mid 2010s when you got in the sport, do you think you would have competed Raw or started Raw uh, and stay with it? Uh, and have you ever even considered competing Raw? Uh, I don't know what I would have done because I came from a bodybuilding mm-hmm. background. So, I mean, I essentially was Raw. Like when I was doing deadlifts in my training and I had started doing like raw squats and like actually when I first went to Detroit to go to this powerlifting gym when I decided I was going to like actually try to like do an actual real powerlifting meet Mm -hmm. um and not like a non-sanctioned one I was like I remember my first day I went there I lifted raw with wraps it just when I went there and, and met these guys um like Fabian and Charlie Maxwell and Paul Archick and all those guys Mm -hmm. um they they were like okay like you signed up for this APS meet like we you we need you need to order some briefs you know Paul gave me his Leviathan to wear which ended up fitting perfectly um and I ordered a bench shirt which was a Rage X at the time mm-hmm. it just was like they they told me they're like I mean 
that this is what it was like. It was like powerlifting was very few people lifted in the raw division. Everybody lifted equipped. So it was just like, okay, this is how it is. Had I not had a solid foundation of training, like with bodybuilding, I, I think that that would probably be a probably a big mistake to literally just jump right into powerlifting and to multiply. Sure. But I had a solid foundation. Like, I mean, I think the first day that I went in there with raw, my raw squat was like 405. So it was like, I, you know, I, I, I didn't really need this like time of like, okay, let's compete raw. Then, you know, some people think like, well, should I do single ply first? It's like, no, I think if you have a solid foundation and you have, you know, you move well, I think you, someone could absolutely like, go directly into multiply and learn it and and whatnot i don't think that you necessarily need to have this time of competing raw Mm -hmm. i i loved it like i can't see why i would have been like oh i i would have preferred you know i think back then i would have lifted raw i i loved the gear i loved it i i like i had so much fun with it. it the second i put it on I just kept going up every every weekend to Detroit at the time. This was before Westside. Mm-hmm. I kept, you know, going up with those guys on the weekends, and we would just squat heavy. Like there was, I wasn't really doing anything. I didn't know much about Westside yet, and the conjugate system. We just would lift heavy, and every week I went up and up and up in my squat. Um, you know, so I just thought it was the coolest thing. You know, um, I see that I, I I completely have so much like respect and admir respect and admiration for these raw lifters that are putting up like insane numbers mm-hmm. but i still look at it and i'm like i don't think i would have enjoyed doing that <laughs> sure. Sure. yeah so therefore i've always you know still to this day such an advocate for multiply lifting even in our own gym it's like even the raw lifters that join at some point end up getting into gear <laughs> yeah I, I i feel that in my soul <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> At Stacy Bourbonnet wants to know, do you get hit up a lot for free advice? If so, how do you handle it? I do. And like, uh, I'll get a lot of messages with questions. And when I, if, if you catch me at the right time, when I have time, I will absolutely reply. But sometimes they just get lost in the mix, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's a reply, sometimes there's not. But like, um, yeah, I you know I would just say like I do get hit up a lot for free advice and like if it's like a what I would always recommend to people that want to ask somebody a question and they want to you know it's it's kind of hard because it's like you know um, people it's like asking you know someone who who has a completely different trade for advice for free advice it's sometimes it's like oh man like you know I don't know. Like maybe see if you can pay for a consultation if it's a long question. Sometimes I'll get if I get a message and it's super super long. If it's like really long, I my and I'm not I'm never trying to be rude, but I'm always, I always just put it to the side. So I'm like, may, I'll try to get back to that another time because I literally don't have time right now mm-hmm. to answer all of this. You know, so I would always tell someone if you really want to get a reply from anybody, like just start with something short. You know, if it's something short, I'm I, I'm like, oh, I can answer this really quick, and it might. Be, turn into a conversation mm-hmm. where there's other questions, you know, but when someone sends something that's really long, I just, it, it's no offense to anybody, but I'm, I, it always ends up getting lost because I'm like, I'll get to it later and I never get back to it, you know? Sure. Makes sense. That's why yeah. I just send Laura yeah. Shit's Creek stuff and she, she appreciates that. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Ew, David. Ew. <laughs> yes. Ew. Yes. Yes. Uh, at Sammy the Beard asks, 
What's the best way to adjust from a polyester suit to a canvas suit? Um, I don't think that there's a whole lot of adjusting. It's, you know, um, I think it's very. It's just going to feel different. You're going to need more time. Um, I've seen plenty of people go right to it. And as long as your technique is good, I don't think the technique changes. Like if you're talking about a multiply squat, it's most likely going to be wide. Mm -hmm. Um, A wide stand sitting back. Like I don't think that there's a whole lot of technique difference between a poly and a a canvas. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it's not like, oh, I need to totally change my technique. It's just going to be a matter of like the feel of it because the the straps, you know, obviously the poly suit's going to be more like um it has more stretch to it the, mm-hmm. the strap stretch and everything whereas the the canvas suit's more of a stopping tower like you have to stop you you don't have any like kind of spring out of the bottom like you're getting more out of just the, that stopping power out of the canvas so it's going to be more of just like getting some time in that canvas and learning that you you know you have to stay super tight mm-hmm. when you're in a canvas you have to come back you just sit back in the suit really hard like if if someone's more prone to like squatting straight up and down or, or like their shin angles forward, they're not going to get much out of the canvas at all. You have to have, have to sit back. So make sure that your shin angle is vertical from the front and from the side. Like that way you're, you know, you're in the right position and that you're sitting back and do your hips are open. Um, hence the shin angle being vertical from the front. So your hips are open you're sitting back into it. Um, and, you know, you don't try to dip. You're not going to get any like spring or rebound out of it so it's it's like a dead stop it's like your collar saying down 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 and when they say up don't dip you know sit back in the suit and just squeeze it out of the hole basically like there's right. not like a like a dip and explode out of the bottom gotcha okay this yeah. is this is a pretty interesting one uh at jerry mf cool wants to know this is the most conjugate question blue cheese or ranch on wings <laughs> I would say ranch. I'm not a huge fan of either. I don't put either on it, but if I had to pick, like a really good ranch would be my pick. <laughs> I love wings. Same. Wings are delicious. <laughs> uh, at Anthony P57, I should really like this question as well. What are the conjugate benefits, or how can athletes outside of powerlifting benefit from a conjugate system? Um, well, the conjugate system is a system developed for athletes not for power lifters. So that's what's cool is that like it it's is not 100%. what the USAPL said. I know. I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, like it's ridiculous. It is completely a system for athletes. So therefore, I mean, I have some athletes who play sports that they follow kind of like not necessarily like all the work and all the volume of, of, of what a power lifter would do, but the same style. We do speed squats, speed pulls. Um, the max effort variations might be a little different. It might be like three rep maxes. Mm. They might be really odd, like different variations and whatnot, but the principles are still the same. We still do like that same, you know, dynamic effort work, some maximal weight. Um, the, you know, the accommodating resistance has, it's huge for, um, athletes. It's mm-hmm. just this system, like you can take like the basis of it and adapt it to whatever that person's sport or goal is. Um, you know, with, with great results. So a hundred percent is something that's actually more tailored to athletes. And that's, you know, it's just like finding that specificity, um, for whatever that person's doing and like figuring out different max effort variations that Mm -hmm. would benefit that person for what they're trying to do. 
Um, if someone's in season, focusing more on dynamic effort work and not the max effort variations, you know, it's, I mean, I, I fully believe that any, an athlete of any sport should be doing some variation of the conjugate system. So I, I believe you still train a decent number of CrossFit athletes, correct, Laura? Uh-huh. How, yeah. how do you vary the system for CrossFit athletes, especially let's speak to CrossFit competitors, not just people that, you know, CrossFit for fitness. Um, it's super similar to the powerlifting layout. It's just, like I said, like with their sport, we have to incorporate a lot more overhead work. I mean, okay. not too much because they do a lot of overhead stuff and, and like in their wads and in their training. So, um, they do different max effort variations. It's just, you know, there might like on max effort upper, there might be a week where we do, um, some sort of overhead variation for a one rep max, um, they still do speed work, um, but they would do like what, what I'd have a raw lifter do, which would be like every other three-week wave on a box, off of a box. And then on those off of a box weeks, we can do um, those three-week waves. We can do like overhead squats, like mm-hmm. for a three-week wave, front squats. You know, so we're basically doing the conjugate system, just incorporating the movements that they need they need um, into it. You know, front squatting, overhead squatting, overhead pressing, um incorporating that like instead of like just strictly bench press squat and and just regular standard deadlifting so and i I believe you talked about this a little bit in our first interview where you talked about your your programming at crossfit conjugate is typically the assistance work after max effort dynamic effort work is done in the kind of that that circuit wad fashion um yeah so well, we, I mean, well, they do their, uh, like, the same way we would, like, mm-hmm. you know, the 10 by 2 or, sure. you know, 5 by 5 or whatnot. But, you know, then they do their accessory work um, after. They would do it more like what we do. Okay. Yeah, they would do it like, you know, just the pure, like, accessory work that would be more geared towards what they need um, after those that main movement. And then they do the abs and the finisher, and then they go on to do their, you know, all the other stuff that they do, like different wads or Olympic lifting work or whatnot. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah. ca- kind of wrapping up here, you know, we've had some, some good questions and, and uh, uh, thank you, obviously, Laura. And this is one that I actually, I came up with uh, thinking about just yeah. the conjugate system in general, you know, with the amount of potential variety within the conjugate uh, system, almost like a, like a platform, some may be intimidated to start it. Uh, how do you suggest at least starting uh, simple but maximizing effect. Um, I know it can be intimidating. A lot of people um, kind of like have an interest in it, but then end up not doing it because mm-hmm. you know it, it is intimidating. So reading a lot and like, um, I mean, starting off with maybe like I would say maybe not using so much accommodating resistance because that's usually where people get like kind of frustrated because. You know, they're like, oh, my God, I just don't know how to do this. And then I got to add bands, I got to add chains and all this, you know. So, you know, if that were the case, like on dynamic effort lower, it'd be like if they weren't using like bands or chains for that 25% accommodating resistance, doing like uh, increasing the percentages. So like 65, 70, 75% or something like that, you know, um, rather than adding the accommodating resistance. So still doing the conjugate system, but just maybe like doing different variations you know, that don't require so much setup. Mm-hmm. So like on bench press, like a close grip, one rep max bench press, that could be a variation mm-hmm. or just a straight up floor press could be a, a, a max effort variation, you know, so keeping it more simple 
I would say, mm -hmm. and then focusing more on accessory work. So like 80% of your workouts, no matter what, should be um, your accessory work. So focusing on the accessory work, um, keeping your max effort and dynamic effort variations pretty simple. And then um, as you get more accustomed to the way the training is laid out and getting through workouts efficiently, mm -hmm. um, then starting to add in more of the accommodating resistance and all the unique like specialty bars and stuff. Gotcha. But if I use an SSB bar, I'll forget how to squat with a straight bar. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It's not going to help at all. Yeah, no, no, no not, not in the least. Uh, yeah, and that brings up, <laughs> as long as you're bringing up SSB bar, um, I think we talked about this with Anthony Oliveira. What are your thoughts yeah. on using some of the specialty bars in gear? Are you guys doing geared work with all the variations of the bars, or are you sticking more to straight bars when you do actual, like, say, geared squats and geared bench presses? So say that again. Sorry, I kind of got... That's okay. So when you guys are in gear, full suits, full shirts, you know, maybe even competition-type briefs, are you using more straight bars or are you using some of the specialty bars? And I ask because it seems like online I've seen more people doing a lot of specialty bar work, you know, like in their full gear. And I'm, I've never seen that oh. as much. So I'm just curious yeah. your thoughts on that. No, I, I like, even if it were... Um like in the off season, it was like, let's say a full gear day. Um, I still would have someone use a straight bar, like mm. maybe a Buffalo bar, just cause it's, you know, a little bit similar to a straight bar, just the, sure. you know, different chamber to it. Mm. But, um, but yeah, like I wouldn't, I never would program someone doing a full gear, like, um, straight or full gear squat in like, in like a safety squat bar or something like you know, we, I mean, if we were in briefs and even wraps or whatever, like specialty bars and stuff like that, but I just feel like when you have your full gear on your suit and everything, um, it's just, it should be done in a straight bar, like more similar to in the same realm of what you would um, be doing straight weight, you know? Okay. Yeah. That's kind of my, what my thought was just because the balance point is, especially when you think about right. something like a special, like a safety squat bar, just the balance point is so much different. It seems like it could really throw you out of position, but it seems like I feel personally there. attacked right now, but that's okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm talking generally, not specifically. I know, I know, I know. I, just, I, I, ha I happened to do that movement last Sunday, and so I, I yeah. Just, You're not the only one well, I've seen were, do that. I'm all in my feelings. Were you just briefs, Pardon? Were you in briefs or full gear? Just, just briefs. I've just had the, the briefs. Yeah. We've been testing out a couple uh, – different brands and, and seeing what fits and, and yeah. we've discovered I mean, that my well, thighs are really big. just in briefs, I love doing briefs with like um, a camber bar, chain, yeah. safety squat bar, whatever, but in the in the suit and stuff, when you've got those tight straps and mm -hmm. the bar pulling in different ways, it's just, it's, I think it's just a little counterproductive, but briefs for sure. Yeah. So you've got a couple seminars coming up, Laura. Um, I think you've got one coming up next month in Connecticut, and then you've got the one right out here uh, in Lombard at 2XL in June. Lombard seminar. The Lombard seminar, just, just like the Lombard meet <laughs> the day before, the women's Lombard meet, that yes. is. Um, what can individuals expect to learn and do in one of your seminars? Um, I, in the, we usually start off with discussion because um, I usually like to like get a feel for what people's backgrounds are, what they're there to learn. Cause every seminar is different. You know, like some of them are like purely power lifters. Sometimes we have like some crossfitters mixed in there. Um, and then we talk about the conjugate system, you know, usually that takes about an hour, you know, just discussion questions that people have about programming and whatnot. Um, and, 
depending on how long it takes, we go right into going into uh, technique work. So everything else is hands-on. So we go into box squat because, I mean, the box squat is, you know, obviously such a key point of the conjugate system, but it's also something that people just butcher sometimes, you know. So mm-hmm. um, it has such a great, like, carryover um, and transfer into sports or powerlifting. Um, when it's done correctly. So I like, I really try to start with that and make sure, you know, everybody, I critique everyone. We go through at least, you know, a couple of times <clears throat> to make sure that everybody's got it down pat. Um, then we go on to deadlift and we go over the sumo deadlift first, just cause it's so technical. And it's one that like, you know, I really enjoy teaching because usually there's like just little changes people can make to get the most out of sumo deadlift. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go for a conventional deadlift. And we, we talk a lot about, like, the, the difference of the two and how they benefit each other. Um, you know, even if you're, like, let's say a conventional deadlifter, pulling sumo and training is going to help increase your conventional deadlift and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So we go over both of those. Um, and then we go over the bench press uh, technique. Um, and then with whatever time we have left over, we go over key accessory movements, like, you know, that, that aren't your standard movements that are more unique to like conjugate style training like chair deadlift uh proper glute ham race technique um dimmel deadlift um sweat shrugs you know things like that sweat that shrugs are... i haven't heard of those I'm oh to, yeah i'm gonna have like... to i'll have to look into the the archives for that yeah yeah or just go to the seminar really here at the lombard blow you up. it doesn't take much weight but they're really good so things like that that are more technical and unique um is what we'll kind of focus on with whatever time we have left after going over the main movements. Okay. Awesome. And where can people, now people can sign up for the, the event here uh, on our website, 2xlpowerlifting.com. Um, and I've also got info on apfillinois.com. If people are interested in the seminar that's at, what gym is it at in Connecticut? At Hellbent Barbell. Hellbent okay. Barbell. Um, so they can sign up um, on my website uh, on the seminar section. That'll take you to, uh, link where you can sign up, and I think I think I have on my website also um, a link to your guys's uh, cool. registration page for the one that we're having um, at your place in June. Perfect. Okay, very good. Anything else? Uh, where can people find more information? I mean, we said this in the first one, but it's worth repeating. If somebody hasn't listened to that one, where can people find out more about uh, you? You know, social media, that kind of stuff. Um, it's all uh, queenbeepower.com. Um, there, there's links to like my Instagram and, and stuff like that, but also there's a, a seminars page. There's um, a link to different, you know, I might have t-shirts for sale or stuff like that, but also mm-hmm. links to the programming or, um, you know, the online programming or, or personal training and whatnot. And then there's just a, a, you know, a general inquiry section. So if someone just has a question like about, you know, programming or, or something like that, they can just message me through the website. Yeah, and if yeah, I think uh, Laura's a very good follow on Instagram um, at Queen Bee Power, correct? Yep, is your at main Queen Bee Power. that's your main Instagram, and you put out a lot of free content on your Instagram. I think today, yeah, on yeah. on that one, and then there's like a little, you know, on Team underscore QBP, mm-hmm. like Queen Bee Power Team underscore QBP um, Instagram that we put out. That's where the, those at home quarantine videos are, and like a lot of. Um, free like uh accessory work 
um, videos and stuff like that, it's all on that Team QBP page. Yeah, I think today, as of the recording of this uh, interview, you had something on, like, how to set up chains, which is something I see yeah. very frequently butchered. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and there's For some... Sure. There's some companies that sell chains, I think, in an, I guess, an improper fashion would be a best way to put it. You know, it's just basically like a, like a collar attached to a chain. Yeah. And it's not really how... I know. So then it's like this big, long chain, and I'm like, there's no deload to it. I'm like, oh. So I always tell, if I see some of my lifters do that, I'm like, okay, take that off. <laughs> Find yourself a leader chain. You can still use that chain. You're just going to drape it through sure. a leader chain so it's doubled over, and you actually get you know, deload off of that. Sure. Right. But yeah, that kind of stuff, a lot of great, you know, tips and tricks on your Instagram page quite often, I would say. I appreciate it. Yeah. (laughs) Anything else you'd like to add, Laura? I don't think so. I appreciate you guys having me again. It's always fun. You've got a meet coming up in a couple of weeks at your, or a couple of months at your place, don't you? Yep. The pro-am. Yeah. April 10th and 11th. So yeah, the, the amateur days, still full but there's still plenty of spots for the pro day awesome um lots of money to be one so i'm like trying to get more pros to come out i'm like what's what's the qualifications for uh being a part of the pro day is that on the the women's pro-am website Uh, yeah on the Mm womenspowerweekend.com there's like the qualification uh totals for both raw and equipped to to be able to lift on the second day on sunday okay uh, on the yeah so what if somebody's like maybe like just on the cusp of meeting those qualifications? Could they email you and like ask a favor? Do I maybe kind of qualify? Yeah. So that that has happened. And like since the the um, amateur day is full, um, I have had a couple lifters that were literally within pounds of being a pro. So I just move them over to the pro day because sure. um, I, I really would like more people to be able to compete. So it's like sometimes like when I, the amateur day is full, I'll take some of the the highest you know, total elite lifters mm-hmm. from amateur day and move them over to the pro day. Sure. Let's go, ladies. Let's get this money. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And I believe Mr. Bain and I will both be there at the Women's Pro-Am. Yep, yeah. I have my, my flight booked and I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'll just drive like yeah. the normal person. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> whatever. Well, thanks so much, Laura. We look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, thank you guys so much. I'll see you soon. See ya. Okay, very good. <laughs> All right, Mr. Bain, there was Laura Phelps. Um, I think a very good interview, a lot of good information. A lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff to follow up on. So please go hit up her sites, you know, sign up for the seminars. Come here to 2XL, sign up for the seminar. Uh, sign up for the program. You'll see me and Eric there. We're going to be helping out, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, if there's any lifters that are maybe, and that's why I kind of poked Laura about that, if there's any female lifters that are maybe like just on the cusp and think, oh, I don't qualify, and the, the amateur day is sold out, maybe just ask. I mean, the worst she can say is no, yeah. but like, may, I don't know what the qualifying totals are, but maybe it's, you know, 1800 for equipped for females. Sure. Like maybe you've hit 1750, but Hey, maybe she wants to fill that meet up. I mean, there, there's kind of an optimum level of lifters you want. I mean, you know, like the WPO, you got 30 lifters, you know, 30 to 35 is a good amount because then you've got two flights. Right. And as one flight is going, the other one is warming up. Um, if you have less than two flights, you know, it, it, it almost like, even though there's less lifters, it can actually take more time sometimes because just you don't get into that same flow. And I don't right. know how many lifters she has. In the past, she's had up to 60 a day. I'm sure the amateur day has 50 or 60. Um, sounds like the pro day, not quite as many. So if you're, you're interested, yeah, check out, uh, uh, I, I think she said. Uh, QueenBeePower.com. 
Well, yeah, and she's, there's also a website for the Women's Prom. I think uh, was, women's Pro Weekend, I believe it is. Yeah, maybe Women's Power Weekend. Something like that, yeah. Um, but you, it's in the interview. Yeah, it's in the interview from <laughs> earlier. You could also go to queenbeepower.com, and it's probably got links to all of her all of her stuff. Yes. Um, but, I, you know, it seemed like she was a little bit more, I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but, like, you know, engaged in this interview than the last one. Um, a little. A little. Um, I, think, I think this is also a topic, like, Laura's humility, I think, makes it sometimes a little challenging to talk about Talk yourself. about yourself. It, yeah. Precisely, yeah. Versus talking about conjugate and, and training, I think that's where she probably, you know, excels and strives in talking about and, you know, doing Agreed. these doing these seminars that she has coming up both um, at Hellbent, coming up very soon as, as of this recording. Uh, yeah. Sounds like about a month away and then a couple months away here at 2XL. Yeah. And just remember, Laura, you're dope. Thank you. Appreciate it. So shameless plug for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Go to go to two xlpowerlifting.com yep. and you can sign up for the uh, Laura Phelps Conjugate Seminar we're going to have here. I think I'm going to be there. Um, a lot of Team Stone is going to be there. Uh, I recommend anybody that's interested in conjugate or anybody that's training conjugate, I definitely recommend it. Um, I wouldn't be putting it on if I didn't think it was, you know, valuable and wanting to learn myself Agreed. from Laura. Agreed. Um, well, Mr. Bain, um, let's make sure that everybody, if they enjoy the podcast, uh, leave us a five-star review on mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, that helps the algorithms. Yes. And helps, uh, helps others that uh, you know, may be interested in strength podcasts, um, helps us come up uh, in their you know, suggested podcasts, mm-hmm. essentially. And, and if, you don't, if you like us, share, share the link. Share, share whenever we drop a new episode. That helps as well. It helps us get new listenership. We want this to be one of the best organically grown podcasts, uh, you know, within the strength community and eventually in the podcast community. That'll take some time, but, you know, we, we want to be able to grow this organically and connect with you all. And so uh, if you like the podcast, share it. Tell people about it. Yeah, and you can, in the, uh, in the link tree in our bio on Instagram, you can check out our merch store. We've got some Strength and Anger merch. Mm-hmm. If you buy some Strength and Anger merch, please take a picture and tag us on the social medias. Mm-hmm. Um, we do want to keep powerlifting great, Mr. A- Bain. Amen. Help support the podcast, help support powerlifting, help support small businesses. Definitely. Uh, next week and beyond, uh, we're, we've definitely continued to work on some more interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe soon... We'll be looking for the gear book review, maybe the first 75% of it, and then maybe a separate one talking specifically about, you know, what's almost a book within a book with the Eric Marosher, Ernie Franz tribute. Yes. Um, and if we can't, I mean, that is a big book. If we can't quite get to that, we might have a, an Ask Us Anything uh, episode maybe to fill in the gaps. Um, and then, again, we've got some other ones that will, you know, kind of more long-term historical reviews that uh, we're working on. Um, and if you have any suggestions for yeah. topics you'd you'd like for us to look into and discuss, certainly, you know, shoot us a DM. Uh, we're certainly not running out of ideas. There's umpteen people to interview <laughs> just on Ernie Amen. Franz, um, and there's tons of historical stuff we can continue to to dive into. Uh, PED stuff. I mean, we've we've really only scratched the surface Drugs. there. Yeah, we've really only scratched the surface and started to to kind of look into that. Um, you know, maybe an, an ethics type of uh ped episode would be interesting to look into yeah we've talked about that but you know kind of like our why episodes you know if you really want to use the uh, the socratic method to break some of those things down it would be interesting to look at you know what what are the ethics of using performance enhancing drugs um would be an interesting look that, into that's that. your world compass not mine <laughs> and precisely <laughs> anything else to add mr bain that's all i got man all right with that this is eric stone signing out strength and anger
Ferret Gear, what do you think about the podcast? <laughs> and are you going to be at the meet this weekend? <laughs> Were the squats high? <laughs>